0: Uh, all right sounds good. So James going back to it. So uh, I asked you when there was no sound how does it feel knowing you're both loved and admired by your core audience but you also got a lot of people that hate what you're doing. How does that feel? I I it it's humbling. It's um
1: I'm I'm sort of w- I don't really focus on the fear. And I, and I think that then one of the things I write about in this book, American Muckraker, is the, is the sort of characteristics inherent in in my colleagues and myself is that we're sort of very tunnel vision. So we don't really focus on those things. We know that they're there. We take rational steps to deal with them. But we're kind of focused on what we do. Some tells me it doesn't bother you, though. Some tells me you're comfortable with opposition. I, I didn't ask for the opposition. Yeah. Sometimes I don't understand the opposition. Um, but it's there, and uh, I, I don't let it affect our decision-making.
0: So so would you call yourself a whistleblower, or a, is it a muckraker?
1: Muckraker is the term I think yeah. is best defined, Dust, and some people don't know what that means. It it means someone who publishes information that the powerful people do not want published versus mm. publishing information they give you to publish.
0: How different is that than a whistleblower? Or is, it, is muckraker more... Somebody who goes and recruits other whistleblowers as muckraker, somebody that goes against the institution. How would you explain the difference between the two?
1: Well, I think a a muckraker is a a term you you know historically from a hundred years ago. Teddy Roosevelt coined it. It could be all-encompassing. The whistleblowers that we work with don't are not my employees. They don't. I don't uh, pay them salaries. We have people on full-time staff, but a muckraker is effectively anybody who can expose what's going on the the real truth the hidden the hidden truth
0: so so it is an element of being a whistleblower it is an element of uh, somebody who wants to expose people who behind closed doors are playing essentially the game of uh, what do you call it the the puppet masters you're trying to expose some of those guys yes we're trying to expose that with the powerful people in a world where the FBI
1: and the New York Times and pharmaceutical companies and all these, they're just acting in concert. It takes kind of an independent citizen group of people that are just the ordinary folks to expose it.
0: Yeah, and it's—it's it's, it, the, the, the concept of citizen journalism is on fire right now, where people are becoming the journalists due to this one weapon and tool yes. that we all have right here. I don't know if you saw this guy that plays for Manchester United, the soccer player. What's the guy's name? Have you seen the story with this guy, what's been happening to him? So this guy, uh, pull him up, Manchester United soccer player. uh, 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 Soccer player, it should pop up. Uh, uh, There it is, right there. Go to the second one, Greenwood, Mason Greenwood. There's a video of him and an audio of his girlfriend recording their conversation having sex. It's Mm -hmm. such a... Weird, mm. the, and, and by the way, he got fired, I believe. They just let him go, and he's being accused for certain things. He She's saying, I don't want to do this, and he's saying, don't make me do this. And then there's videos of her bleeding with, like, you know, he hit her in the face, and next yes. thing you know, they let her go. Meaning, this thing is probably one of the most scariest or most powerful weapons that we have today. Folks, if you don't know our guest today, let me kind of give you an idea who, it is, who he is. Uh, James, I had a chance to read yes. your book yesterday, and... Uh, uh finished it this morning. I listened to the audio of it. Uh, New York Times bestselling author. You wrote your book. I think it was called Breakthrough. Yes. Or Breakthrough. Um, he's got an organization he leads called Project Veritas, which I believe you started in 2011 or maybe 2012. One of those two years is when it kind of started growing. Yes. Uh, and he's exposed a lot of different stories. Uh, if you remember the one story with ABC when abc news amy roback was caught on hot mic saying network spiked jeffrey epstein's bombshell and she was trying to do this story and the story was leaked by you the video that was one of the stories that project veritas did uh there's another story having to do with uh i mean there's a list of them google executive recently the one you did with the federal government nurse i believe that uh, was talking about vaccines and the one video you showed where they're sitting there saying this person took their ninth or eighth shot or seventh shot or whatever it was, you exposed big pharma, you did something with a senator, pro-antifa high school teacher in California admitting communism, indoctrination of students, and the list goes on and on and on. Senior Google manager on search engine power said, you are just plain and simple trying to play God. The power in the search, Trump says not something, misinformation, you're gonna delete it. If a democratic leader says it, then you're gonna leave it. So you've done so many of these things, going after Pfizer, going after all these guys. And here's, here's what I've learned about uh, whistleblowers. You know, everybody loves a whistleblower on their side, and everybody loves a whistleblower on the opposing side. Because, you know, as kids, what are we raised to do? Hey, don't snitch, tattletail. right? Don't tattletale, don't snitch. But right. there's a different... Uh... Snitches get stitches, <laughs> yeah, snitches, as snitches get say. stitches, but you grow <laughs> up and you're sitting there, you're thinking you gotta protect the whistleblowers, but are they really doing good? There is this uh, dispute that goes back and forth with people on both sides when it comes down to whistleblowers. How do you view the 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 life of a whistleblower the how we view whistleblower? should people look at him as a hero? should they look at him as divisive how do you how do you view a whistleblower well i mean i, I to, the, this this book there's a chapter
1: in this book American muckraker called insiders and and uh, to be a whistleblower is to step outside the great chain of being to not to join not just another religion but um but another world and sometimes this other world is called the margins of society, but it feels like outer space the metaphor that Ellsberg used famous 20th century whistleblower. It's like being an astronaut you cut your umbilical cord. You're you're not part of the institution you worked for. You're not part of my institution. You're sort of floating out there. But I think, I think in in this world today, um, I was just watching Joe Rogan's uh, uh, Instagram video as I was coming into the studio. What'd you think about that? What was going through my head is this quote from Orwell that freedom is the freedom to say that two plus two make four if that is granted all else follows. Rogan said in his little Instagram video, he said, you know, I six months ago or a year ago, they would have banned you for saying these things. And now they're, the scientists come out and say it's true. So it's just, we're living in this bizarre, dystopian reality where you, you can't call this a bottle of water. You know, <laughs> and, and, and they say, experts say, experts say, who, who are these experts? So we have to, we have to show people the reality. We can't tell them what the reality, we have to show them. We have to allow people to trust the evidence of their own eyes and ears. And that's the sort of journalism that we do. We don't ask you to trust us by virtue of the fact that I declare myself credible. That's what they do, experts say, experts say. We, we don't ask you to trust us or trust the whistleblower. The whistleblower shows you the evidence, right? First person observation journalism, such that you can see it for yourself. And they don't want you to, they don't want to trust your, Eyes and ears, and we would ask that you do that. And that's that's what was going through my head as I watched that Rogan
0: uh, comment he made. Got it. Yeah. So, by the way, when you mentioned Daniel Ellsberg, he was what? He was a former uh, uh, government employee. Pentagon
1: Papers. 7,000
0: uh, 7, uh, papers he turned in. I think he gave it to New York Times and 20 other papers. And he was, you know, looked at as a hero. Three years later, they stopped the Vietnam War. And then afterwards, Nixon came back with espionage. You know, laws against them. And uh, I think the same thing Obama tried to use against someone as well, right? Obama
1: used against... uh, During the Obama administration, uh, President Obama was really putting the screws to journalists. I'm not sure the New York Times would publish the Pentagon Papers these days. I think things have changed in 50 years. I mean, we released a story involving literally Pentagon Papers two weeks ago, involving uh, DARPA documents. And I, I cannot obviously disclose who the source was. It was not... Major Joe Murphy, the author of the documents, was not our source. But but those people, do not they can't go to the Washington Post or the New York Times anymore. They don't know who to go to. There's not many organizations for them to go to except Project Veritas.
0: Yeah, you know, your opening of the book, you say what? You say, I get asked two questions the most, right? And I'll focus on one of the questions. One of the questions is, how are you not... Uh, you know, worried for your life. I don't remember exactly how you posed the question, but you know the do you fact fear that for your life? yeah, do you feel mm-hmm. for your life? You're going everywhere. You're pushing the envelope. I mean, Pfizer's a pretty massive organization to go up against, right? You're going against ABC, mainstream media, uh, the institutions. You're talking about the swamp, all the politicians, the people of power you're essentially calling them out and making them look like fools. You, did, you made Zucker look like a fool when you were on his conference call, and not Mark Zuckerberg, but I'm talking about- Jeff Zucker. Jeff Zucker, yeah. Jeff Zucker, yeah. So, you know, it, 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 how, how safe do you feel? I mean, you got raided by the FBI early in the morning where they come in with 10 people with flashlights in your eyes, and they're taking your two iPhones and the journal that you had of Biden's, I believe, da- uh, what was it, Daughters uh, yep. uh, uh, Journal that it was. How how do you feel? Do you wake up in the morning worried about your life? Well,
1: I'm glad that you read the book, and I appreciate you reading the book because a lot of people don't. So I I respect you for listening to the book and bringing up a lot of these anecdotes, so I know you read it. Uh, The first chapter of this book called Suffering, and you might say, what are you writing about that in a journalism book? Because it's kind of a premise here that you're going to go through some pain if you you speak the truth, and I think people are so afraid. I don't understand it. I I never have. I never— I, 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 don't, I don't think I'm a sociopath, but I do think that one has to be a little bit of a masochist to do this, if you think about it. Um, and, I, and I really tried to meditate, and I, re, I really, I mean, it took me five years to write this book. I, I spent weeks uh, in the mountains, literally in a cabin, a couple weeks uh, last year during the pandemic, trying to answer this question. You know, the two most common things is, yes, do I fear for my life? And the second most common question is, what can I do? You probably hear that a lot. I don't know what to do. How do we solve the problems? And what people mean when they say, what can I do? Is I think what Viktor Frankl wrote in, in, in Man's Quest for Meaning, Survivor of the Holocaust, you know, which is, how do I find meaning in life? And I think as we enter this weird dystopian reality where two plus two equals five, where this bottle of water is not water, it's Coca-Cola. I think, I think people are trying to, they're putting more of an emphasis on meaning, rather than their own self-preservation. That's what I see in my life. In other words, people are less concerned about materialism and and um, uh, uh, and money, and they place more of a primary value on their conscience. And I think we have a choice to make in this life. And I quote Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who Jordan Peterson you know, introduced me to through his podcast. I, I read this Gulag Archipelago carefully, and I thought about it, and there are some comparisons to what he wrote about in the Soviet Union, that you can follow your conscience And give up your livelihood or you can maintain your livelihood and sacrifice your conscience. And these are the two choices we have to make. And I think more people now than ever, right this very moment in time, are willing to follow their conscience into the gates of hell. Why? Because we believe. We believe in the truth and we'll do anything for it. And I wrote right about in this chapter, uh, suffering, that like any survivor of psychological abuse, the American mock starts to realize a new kind of superpower – Reborn through baptism by fire, he is invigorated by the knowledge that he is no longer a slave to fear. That's what I went through. I stopped being a slave to that because I went through these experiences. To, to do this,
0: uh, James, there's got to be somebody that pissed you off, right? I mean, to do this, there's got to be somebody that either offended you or... Uh, uh, you know, because I looked at your parents, they were conservative, but not at the levels that you are. You know, I, I kind of saw what their beliefs were. They were they were leaning right as well. But did somebody offend you? Did somebody upset you? You used to be a writer at your school, and then you went and decided to start your own paper instead of write. I think it was called Centurion. Yes. I, I don't know what it was. Maybe yes, it was called right, Centurion. Right. So, so it's not like you know what was the one event. I mean, maybe even we can go back to high school. If you and I were sure. in tenth grade, eleventh grade. Who, who was James O'Keefe? That's a great
1: question. Um, uh, I can answer it in two different ways by talking about that. But I think as a teenager, I remember being young, young man. And, and certainly in college, I read that I was very fascinated by journalism. I would read the newspaper every day. New York Times. I, I, I love and Star Ledger. I'm from New Jersey. So that's I don't even know.
2: In 10th grade, you were reading the New York Times? I mean,
1: he went to Rutgers. So this guy's okay. been. In, in, well, in college, particularly, yeah. I was obsessed with reading the newspaper. Now, this is 20 years ago. And or eight, 19 years ago, and these newspapers have become a shell of themselves. They're basically like, you know, an exoskeleton. They throw AP articles in there. But the star, they, they provided a free copy in college uh, at Rutgers Public University in New Jersey of the Star-Ledger U.S. Today, New York Times. I would sit there in the dining hall every morning because I was a shy, introverted kid, and I had no friends my freshman year. And I would read front to back all those three papers. And I considered that my education. I was a philosophy major, but... I, would, I, was, I was religious about reading the news and I was fascinated by it. As a teenager, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 years old, I would, I would watch local news. So I grew up in the New York City suburbs of New Jersey and I would watch the, 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 the broadcast and just I just felt intuitively that how they were portraying things were not as things were. So things were not portrayed as they were and rarely as they ought to be. And that's the best way I can describe it. It's just sort of a, a and, and I know everyone knows what I'm talking about because now it's self evident The news is not showing you how things actually are. they're describing reality and it affected me i remember I remember it affecting me and I didn't know I was ever going to do anything about it i didn't I didn't think that I'm going to be a journalist. I didn't even know frankly what a journalist was or what a journalist did, and I certainly had no inclination of going to journalism school. Um, and I was in Boy Scouts. I was a, a, an Eagle Scout, actually. And when I was about 18 years old, they had this board of review conference where you go before your Scoutmaster, master. And they asked me, what do you want to do with your life? And I went on this rant about things because <laughs> I was trying to look for guidance. And, uh, and he said, and I, and I said, things are not what they seem and, and, and rarely as they should be. And he said, have you ever thought about going into journalism? And that was the first time anybody ever said that to me. And I and I thought about that and I didn't know what it meant to be a journalist. And then I went to college and I read these papers every day and I was literally reading the New York Times front to back and I got angry at the New York Times. I said, that's not right. It doesn't seem, you know, this is right after 9-11 and, and the world events that were happening and the op-ed pages. So I decided to um, uh, uh, write a column for what was the Daily Rutgers newspaper, the Daily Targum it was called and i wrote a column and i started and I, and then i researched how my, the ratio of democrats to republicans of the professors at the university and the ratio was 104 to 1 the imbalance of it and the mm-hmm. imbalance of it affected me too and i said well that's not right there should be more ideological balance among the faculty and and then we can talk more about what happened next but that was the
0: the initial origins of so, so the reason why i asked that is you know adam you know he's uh, been a comedian before, and then from there, he went into business and has done well for himself. You know, when you think about comedians, you'll typically, the DNA of a comedian is a what? Somebody that maybe lived a rough life, so humor was a way of, you know, just, what's the word? Just way to cope of,
2: or way to way deal to with to cope with yeah, it, exactly. yeah, so A lot, lot, of, of, a lot, lot of, of comedians have dealt with issues. Oh, in the, in tremendous, the, of right?
0: Yeah, so then you, you think about, like, UFC fighters, like GSP or some of these other guys. Mm-hmm. Their lineage to wanting to become great fighters was what? They were bullied as a kid, so there was right. a form of... Then being bullied, bodybuilders, same thing. What? What did somebody piss you off? Did somebody <laughs> bully you? Yeah. Did somebody? Did you live a rough life? Did you see somebody right in front of your eyes betray somebody and lie, and they went to jail, or something happened to them? Yeah. Where you said, "I just don't think this is right." Good question. It I reminds me of a question I think it was Candace Owens asked me, "What happened to you?"
1: Or maybe it wasn't her, but someone said something. Mm. Someone did something.
2: Why does that question keep popping up, though? James? No, it's actually only the second
1: time I've been asked the question, and I and I'm not a psychologist. I, I, I but I, let me attempt to answer it. Um, the only thing I can say about my childhood, before this teenager watching local. You know, Fox Five, New York News was I, my grandfather and father. I was raised. I did have an unusual upbringing in the sense that I, I was doing property maintenance with my my father and grandfather. I'm the third, James O'Keefe the third. My grandfather um, would would wake me up in the morning and we'd go do work on the houses every morning, paint and and landscape and do roofing and plumbing work and. I guess it it was looking back it was like kind of like uh, a, a child uh, a slave labor. I don't resent it. I think it's it's it w- it was formative and taught me values and hard work, but I did not like the work um i, I never took to it uh uh and th- we would work all weekend and every night during school and and we we you know I told the story before, but since you asked um uh you know that was very formative for me. it was a sort of indefatigability that. My grandfather and father instilled in me very tunnel vision. So we would work on these homes, doing everything ourselves. We didn't hire any labor. Um, and for years, starting at five years old, I would I would do manual labor with my father and grandfather every weekend, dirty, disgusting work. And they didn't make small talk with me. Uh, my father never never did. Um, I wanted to, um, but we never made small talk. We just work, 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 work. And and I hated doing the work. I I, I d- It just detested it. I'm a very creative person. I always have felt that, and I would daydream during the work, and I would think about things, but I was forced to do this. So my only, and I'm not a psychologist, I'm speculating here, but I I suppose that they instilled in me something I didn't necessarily have when I was born, which is this tunnel-visioned, almost maniacal drive. Although they gave me that, but my, my passion was different than, you know, you know, PVC pipes and 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 uh, roofing. My my passion was re- was exposing and artistic. So when you combine those two things, but I don't. No one ever really pissed me off. It was more just the hard work that I did that I guess instilled in me. Yeah.
2: James, uh, you know, Pat asked that question to quite a few people. Like who were you in high school? Because I think what you do is very unique, very unique. There's not a, like who, did, who else is like James O'Keefe. It's like, I do not not that many people. Well, thank so you. I, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, it's very unique what you do, whether people, you know, love what you do or ardently oppose what you do. But I think the reason that he's trying to get to this is like trying to understand who you are and you used a couple terms that I want to ask you about. You said, yeah, I guess I am a, um, would you uh masochist masochist and then you and you said something that was i kind of caught me off guard and i don't want to gloss over Go it ahead. you said as a freshman i had no friends yeah. and i sat there and read the newspaper yeah. and for me that's and even for pat that's always been a person that's thrives on camaraderie and friendship and banter and joking no. and have and having fun like that you were I don't want to use a loner, but you said you had no friends and your friend was the newspaper and you started to develop these beliefs and these thoughts. So I think that's ultimately kind of where Pat is going is like, why did you have no friends? How did having no friends lead to basically where you're at now? I don't know. I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that question.
1: <laughs> well, there's I, nobody else all, more
2: qualified than you to answer can, this question. All James. I can
1: do is give you the facts. Yeah, me, sure. Give you what, what my life was like, and maybe someone can draw conclusions. I, I didn't. I was a sprawling state university. It was, you know, 50,000 people. Um, I was in the dining hall every morning reading this newspaper for hours. Um, and then, but over time, I did. I made friends. Over time, I made, built an organization here with 70-plus employees. I've I, I've, I've kind of start, you know, started with nothing and, we've, and now I over the years at, in college I even built a little newspaper there a magazine and I built a staff but in the beginning there yes there was, was. I guess you could say I was a shy introverted
2: guy and were you not looking for friends this is like yeah. for me I guess the, the reason that I'm harping on this is because yeah. I've always been a person that I don't collect toys, collectibles watches, clothes I collect friends and people that I really mm-hmm. enjoy spending time well, define with define friend yeah, that's a very good question because you know how they say you know keep your uh, circle tight. You know, yeah. so I I have a handful of best friends, but a large network of people I could call at any minute. You clearly have developed that now, but that yeah. wasn't that case. Well, my in grandfather,
1: college. James O'Keefe Senior, Irish Irishman. And by the way, he used to call me Irish. Funny enough, he he'd, he'd that's say, what he called you. Yes, he called <laughs> me Irish. He would. Dragged me out of bed at whatever yeah. time ungodly hour, and I'd be digging some ditch with my grandfather. Is that
2: why you tried to cancel the Lucky Charms leprechaun?
1: <laughs> uh, that was—I think that was a coincidence. I mean, I was an Irish American, <laughs> that was good, right we there. We could talk Thank about you. that. Solid, respect Thank you.
2: He would he would say you know, like, can only
1: <laughs> We did. We did. It yeah, exactly. We went in the dining hall with a box Lucky <laughs> Charms. Said, "I don't look like the leprechaun the front cereal exactly. box." It was a form of satire. It was yeah. satire. Well, I, you
2: tried to get Rutgers to cancel them, or even. You know, give a response as to why they were not well, going to cancel him. Irony is now dead, so yeah.
1: people don't understand irony, and mm-hmm. we can get into that. But it's like I went in there with a, with a box of Lucky Charms, and I said, uh, and and I, it was very hard to keep a straight face. By the way. <laughs> I really struggled. <laughs> I said, you know, we're not all short. We have differences of height. I don't look like this, and they told me they'd remove Lucky Charms. I put the bureaucrats in a bind there. But my grandfather used to tell me. You know, you can, you can only count your friends on one hand. I, people say that. So define to, to friend. People in fraternities, you know, people join fraternities, and that's no criticism. But some people say you buy friends through a fraternity. And friends, and I've been through so ups and downs in my life, I mean, mm-hmm. insane highs, insane lows. I mean, incarceration, a, a John Stewart daily show, South Park episode about our journal. I've seen such highs and lows that— for me, it's like I've seen people come and go, and their loyalties are so. I, I don't like phoniness. I never. I don't. I don't know how to be phony. I don't. I don't like politics. I don't like politicians. So, I, I think that you don't like is politics. Meta- no, I'm definitely no. Politics is horrible. Really? Yeah. So but okay, you listen listen did, let's let's transition. So?
0: Let's transition. So here's here's a here's my here's my question for you. So, um, to do what you do, you have to think like whoever the enemy and the, the opposition is. Meaning, if I'm gonna go out there and uh, 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 go against the dirty, manipulative, deceptive tactics that are out there, I almost have to match them, don't I? Because, you know, a lot of times you'll talk from, uh, uh, you'll sit down and have conversations with the left or the right, and the, the the right will say, the left is just extremely manipulative in what they do. And they're willing to go and play such dirty tricks. And look what they did in Chicago with JFK and Dewey. And they'll, they'll get the votes. They'll get this. They'll get that. And then uh, some people say, well, we have to play their games against them to beat them, right? Yep. And then uh, you'll have faith-based folks will say, we're just not going to cross the line. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to stick to it. But I think there's a part of it where, you know, the whole saying goes, if you want to wrestle, if you wrestle with a pig, you know, you, you kind of... get some mud on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the point is, if you're going to wrestle with a pig, you, gotta, you have to have some kind of pig tendencies. You have to play their games against them. Did you ever in your mind say, look, you guys all want to play square and you want to play safe? I'm going to go against these guys and I'm going to use their strategies against them. I'm going to piss them off. Was that kind of a line you had to be willing to cross or this is the line you're going to come as close to the line as possible but not cross it i don't know if you understand the question i'm asking no, or i understand not. Yeah. i
1: understand so no, there, what are your thoughts on that well there, there was a professor in college named david knowlton and he introduced me to a man named saul linsky and and david knowlton was i don't know if he was a professor or an adjunct guy but he was a, a businessman lobbyist who taught a class and i took and any, 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 this rule, rules for radicals by Saul Alinsky. I don't know if you've heard of this book. Sure, of course. There's a line in this book, which is called rule number four, make them live up to their own book of rules. Now that sounds sort of Machiavellian and, and twisted, but it's just a simple, it's really another way of saying it is expose their hypocrisy. So, and Alinsky says it, I think he said in this rules for radicals book, you know, he was talking about Christians and it's hard for them to live up to their own standards. It's hard for them to live up to the Bible, for example, but you can apply that to anything. And I read that line in that book, Rules for Radicals, um, which is now transformed into something just sort of journalistic. But at the time, there was on campus they had these uh, speech codes they called them. You can't offend anyone for any reason. You know, you can't you can't say that say anything that offends anybody. And for me, that was a slippery slope. It, 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 I just viewed it as twisted. I said, you can't offend anybody. Well, the whole idea of college is to is to exchange ideas. So that's what led to the Lucky Charms thing, where I said, OK, well, if I can't offend anybody, well, then why don't I say this box of Lucky Charms is racist against my Irish heritage? And, I, and, I, and it was it was like an, a form of satire, I guess, or, or you know, exposing it. But now what, what's, what this is evolved in is – and I want to draw a boundary – is that absolutely not do we do what they do. Uh, we do not lie to, our, to the people. We do not deceive the audience. We do not do the things that they do we do sometimes use deception in the sense of a pretext with our subject. In other words, in journalism, circumstances can arise in which deceit towards the subject is less wrong than other possible courses of action, including being so honest with your subject, such that you are dishonest with your audience. In other words, if I come to you, let's say you work for the Pentagon and I say, hi, I'm a journalist. Tell me all the fraud you're committing. (laughs) And you give me some canned line. And then I publish your line to the millions. Well, now I'm lying to millions of people. But if I pretend to be a telephone repairman and I'm in your office and we're talking and I record you, right? And you don't know it. Well, I've just lied to you about who I am. But in doing so, I've gotten some truth, which I broadcast to the people. And they'll attack me, O'Keefe's a liar. He uses deception and undercover. I say it's a question of relative deception. And, and and in this business, in journalism, you have a choice to make. So I, it wasn't so much that I was obsessed with undercover and wanting to do this, these things that seemed manipulative. I We wanted to do whatever we needed to do to get to the truth. We had to dig deep. We had to learn how to use disguise and pretense and these things that were not comfortable. These are not comfortable things to do. You don't like doing them. In fact, I could tell you in that, in that Lucky Charms video – my heart was beating 160 beats per minute. I, it didn't. I didn't. You know, wasn't comfortable uh, performing in this way to get to get this information. Did,
0: did it feel? Did it make you feel like I uh, feel like I'm being a little bit deceptive and dirty? Or no? You're kind of like, listen. I'm going to match you. I'm going to match you at this. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to do this. But I'm going to play all the games necessary to get as close to the line as possible. No, it, it felt. Uncomfortable.
1: It felt uncomfortable, but ne- the best I can say is it felt uncomfortable, but necessary. I remember confronting the professors. I had a, printed out these certificates and, you know, it was, it, this is all irony and satire. Like, think of it like Borat meets 60 Minutes. That's the best way I can describe it. It was like Borat. Okay, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to pretend to be this so I can expose the reaction and mm-hmm. expose yeah. the, 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 the 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 speech policies. I felt so uncomfortable. I forced myself to do it. Forced myself to do it. It, it. It's like, you know, doing something you hate doing, frankly. Like I had to stick my little child arm down a sewage pipe. I, I just <laughs> forced myself to do it because I said, this must happen. I must do this. You know, do you have a family or no? No. Uh, Kids. My, my parents and my sister.
0: No, no kids? No children. No. Any plans of ever having kids? I would love to have kids. Oh, day. so you would. So it's not like you don't want to put them through what you're going through, where your kids go to school and maybe you name them after James O'Keefe. And hey, is your dad James O'Keefe? He is. And so you're comfortable having kids and would, put them through. I would, I would like to have kids. Okay, fantastic. Well, that's good to know. So, so going back to that, you know, I, I asked this question because... Okay, so one, you, you, you want to prove the point about the border. You dress like Osama bin Laden. I don't know if you can pull this up. Sure. You dress like Osama bin Laden. You cross the border to prove a point, to say, here's how bad the border is. If you can go to images, and David, if we can show this. This is James O'Keefe, okay, right there to the right, if he can show that. Another time, I think you went in uh, uh, acting like you're a pimp, with a prostitute, right? Yes. Who was there that you were trying to expose? That was that, that was a group called Acorn, and you expose them. And you, this is an orga- organization that had been around since 1971. Five hundred thousand something, correct? You know, members that they had and. Right afterwards, six months later, you, you pretty much shut down the organization. At the time when you did it, was 07, which is 15 years ago. You were, what, 23 years old, 24, 24 years old? you bet. Yep. Yeah. So so this is what I mean by, like, these strategies and tactics, you got to have yeah. a creative mind to say, I'm going to play your game against you. Yeah, but I, and I think I— I
1: think I answered that in so far as that we do whatever we need to do to get the information and and, and for the acorn story that I could, we could spend 30 minutes talking about that story but in a minute it was it was this young woman who messaged me on Facebook like I get most of these tips these days from the citizens and she said what if you went in there as a as a prostitute and this was a this is a government You're fu- telling her she's telling well, she's you She's giving out. me this idea on a Facebook message in 2009 and we get our tips and ideas. And at the time, I was I was nothing. I had no money, I had no organization. I was just a filmmaker with these ideas. And she had seen what I did with Planned Parenthood. She said, why well, don't you go in there as a prostitute? And we're having this, I've never met this woman before. We're just talking over yeah. Facebook. I said, well, there probably should be a pimp. And what occurred to me is how brilliant it was because this is an organization that was doing illegal things, squatting foreclosed homes. They were They were accused of doing corrupt acts. So if you went in there and said you were a criminal and you had a a, a a deviant business, you would you would get a reaction. Now, I thought that they would I assumed I have my hypothesis was that they would perhaps tell us to evade the authorities or something something mildly you know, fraudulent. When I went in there in Baltimore and with my hidden camera embedded in my satin tie with with Hannah was dressed like a like she was from Miami. She was from Miami, a, a 20 year old uh, dressed like a. She had stilettos and a sarong and a leather halter top. They told me how to disguise the underage hookers as dependents on the tax returns. They brought in the accountant. <laughs> this was like, this was like something out of a you know an SNL skit. Um, but they actually wanted to help us evade the law, and and it it, it got quite serious. It got quite serious very, very fast. I mean, those videos uh, prompted Congress to defund Acorn, democratically controlled Congress. So it wasn't me that uh, destroyed or defunded Acorn. It was the United States Congress. There we are. There's Hannah. That's what she looked like. She went in there. Now, I did not wear that fur coat in every office, uh, but she wore that in Baltimore. And by the way, prostitutes <laughs> prostitutes do not look like that in Baltimore, but these workers wanted to help us. And we did this in uh, uh, Baltimore, D.C., New York, uh, San, San Bernardino,
0: Los Angeles. Every office helped us but one. Now, I got to tell you, sitting here right across from you don't look like a pimp. It'd be very hard for you to pass as a pimp. But that picture right there, you yeah. got very close to looking like a pimp. That's true. Uh, a low-budget one, but yeah. he does look well, like a pimp. one thing for the way sure is stressed. his
2: pimp hand is strong,
1: yeah. regardless. Well, it, just, it was just so low-budget. Uh, people at the time—this was a massive story. I don't know if people remember it, but it was it was big. Um, and the late Andrew Breitbart described it like taking the penthouse to the uh, glass elevator all the way to the top with, with the, what we did and— I, my, I did not have any money. So that that fur coat, that was my grandmother's coat. The hat was my grandfather's hat. Hannah accoutred herself, and we drove around in my old, my old jalopy Grand Marquis, and uh, th- we just did it. I mean, we just, two kids from the cast of High School Musical
0: 3. Question for you. So <laughs> some people will say, look, you know, if you're really going to do the whistleblower stuff, why don't you go after both sides? Because at least Sasha Baron Cohen will go and expose... You know, maybe 10% of people he exposes is the opposing side. You know, he did something with Bernie Sanders, his own side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he went after Bernie. I don't know. He did something he did. with Bernie. I mean, he, he tends to go after, especially with the last There's thing There's no did. question about uh, it. With Rudy, write. Hotel, all that stuff. Yes. This is, to to those who ask that question, is this a pure crusade you have against the left? Or is anybody that does... Uh, uh, uses their power against people to manipulate define, I, I think we need to define these
1: things when we say side what do we mean when we say left I'm not even sure what that means anymore because I have the FBI working with the New York Times is that left wing let's define reality there's only one reality there's only one truth Veritas does 24 24 frames per second or now it, on the iPhone with the high definition it's 64 I don't know what how many frames truth at 24 frames per second there's only one reality there's only one truth. Our medium is to film things, film people talking. And oftentimes we don't feel any, we see their lips moving. So that happened. It's an event. Over time, you'll see us do everything. We just did a video on a, Alex Stovall, who's a Republican in Arizona. He's a Republican running for Congress. And he said one thing in private and another thing in public. He contradicted himself and we exposed it. And we were not condemned by the right. In fact, my that reaction that story it seemed like the, uh, people on the right appreciated it even more because they didn't want people on their side uh, when I say right Republican Party if that's even right wing so I'm not sure what I what we there he is uh, uh, Project Veritas action exposes flip flopping Arizona congressional candidate this was a guy who said uh, privately. That there wasn't enough fraud to overturn the election and publicly that there was. So he, so I'm not saying he was wrong by saying privately what he said. It was the fact that he contradicted himself. But that, that would still
0: be seen as one side. That, oh, so, that would, I mean, if he's against uh, uh, fraud for election and then he says it, that is a... That is against the, the 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 idea of many people on the right, mm-hmm. however many you want to say, that thought the election was a fraud. So for him to flip that, I don't necessarily think I put him as a person who would essentially be on the right to defend some of the philosophies. You got to keep in mind this is a show where we defend capitalism. This is a right. show about you know a person who escaped Iran to go to Germany. I lived at a refugee camp. I'm a kid who grew up in a communist family, in an imperialist family. Mother's side, they were all communist. Dad's side, we're imperialist. But it, it's it's more it's more strong to say, listen, here's what we're doing. We're covering up the guys on the opposite side. I'm not a comedian. I'm not Sasha Baron Cohen. Here's what we're doing. This right. is what we stand for. This is where we're going. Uh, but at the same time, there is a big audience out there that will say, you target mainly one but, side. And,
1: and, and you know what? They're going to say that until they stop saying it. Because we have people coming to us now, like like I say, the DARPA, the the Marine Corps
0: major who wrote— Which, the, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you're going against—if you're going up against the government, that's well, what but you here, stand for.
1: Well, here's two, two, two quick responses. Here's the irony of them saying, I go after the left by exposing CNN. There, there's an admission there. Are you saying that CNN is left? Are you saying the New York Times is left? Is the FBI left— is our Federal Bureau of Investigation left? Are our pharmaceutical companies left? Is this guy left? So at a certain point, that argument is it's over. What's going to happen? There's an asymptote on the on to borrow a mathematical analogy. That asymptote will approach, you know, zero and and people are going to come to us. where They can't go anywhere else. CNN uh, the, the network CNN gives a, a deliberate false impression daily. They, they they say that two plus two equals five. We got a guy at CNN saying, quote, we're propaganda, the control room director. He said, we're propaganda. And he's talking about the death numbers on the screen. His name was Chester, Charlie Chester, C-H-E-S-T-E-R. This is probably one of the biggest investigations we ever did. I was most proud of this one. And he goes, Why can't it be higher? We need the deaths to be higher. More people from COVID need to die. So we have higher death numbers, higher death. This is what this guy is saying. I didn't say it. He's saying it. You can see his lips moving. He's being secretly recorded at a bar. So these networks, there it is, quote, if it wasn't for CNN, I don't know. Trump would have gotten voted out. Now, I did not entrap him. We did not tell him to say these things. We asked questions. I did not ask leading questions. Our undercover people said, tell us about what your network is like. We're propaganda. We get Trump out. So if that's my question is a rhetorical one. Why won't the people at CNN say that publicly? Say what? Say the fact that. Quote, if it wasn't for CNN, Trump wouldn't have gotten voted out. Quote, we're propaganda. Quote, why won't the death numbers be higher? There's nothing. By the way, I'm not making a a moral judgment about that. Right. And I won't. That's something about me that's different than all the other journalists you see on TV. So let me. I'm not making, my only judgment is this. My only rule is this. Don't say something privately, if you are a powerful
0: man like that, that you're not willing to say publicly. Okay, so we both know that happens in your organization, that happens in our organization, that happens in every media, every sports team, every business, every company. There's gonna be certain things you're gonna talk about uh, aspirational behind closed doors where, for example, Tom Brady, every time they interview him after he wins again, this is what Tom Brady will say. You know, we have to respect those guys on the other side. We have tremendous respect for the coaches. Right, right. You know, Jimmy G and the kicker for San Francisco. What's the kicker's name? Do you know who I'm talking about? The kicker's uh, cool. a big goal. Yeah. You know, we respect the guys on the other side. The Green Bay Packers have a world-class organization and then you see the clip that they record on them. fuck the Packers. Yeah. Did you see that one part? So listen, who doesn't do it? I think everybody does it partly on the other side because it, to compete at that level, especially media, you have an enemy. Mm -hmm. CNN's enemy is Fox, Fox's enemy is mainstream media, MSNBC has an enemy, everybody's got an enemy. And quite frankly, everybody's mainstream media's enemy right now is Joe Rogan, who is kicking everyone's ass. So there is an enemy in every place. So I think there's a part of it. Okay, I'll I'll give you another question. So one of the stories that goes talking about you is the fact that uh, James O'Keefe has made $1.9 million since 2011, right, Mm -hmm. and they show your income, okay? okay? And it goes from, which to me, the income is $400,000 a year income, whatever it was in 2020 or 2021. We have the exact numbers based on the article. And it says, year one, he raised, it was a small thing. He raised only $400,000. And he has a job where he was working 60 hours a week or 80 hours a week making 50K a year before. I think the article you've read before. Mm -hmm. And it goes, he raised $1 million. He raised $2 million. He raised $4 million. Now he's raising $8 million, $12 million. And eventually it was a 20, I think you raised $21 million in 2020, whether it's 2020 or 2019, you raised something like $21 million, right? And then in the book, there's a part where they call you out and they say, well, who are the backers? Mm -hmm. Who's given the money to Project Veritas? There's an article that says Koch Brothers. There's an article that says names that comes out about you, right? And then your position was, I think it has been uh, 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 by law to not release the information of uh, the guy, the individuals who give money to our organization. You said something like that in your book, right? And I'm sure you yep. know what I'm talking about. I so, do. so, you know, again, you, do you want people to know who gives money to your organization? Do you want the public to know who you give money to the organization? No,
1: it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a fundamental right enshrined in the first amendment freedom of association. So there's a distinction there in that uh, there's a chapter in this book called secrecy. And I talk a lot about this. There's two things. There's, Three things that we can keep secret, and there's no other secrets. One of those is the the donors to our nonprofit, which, by the way, don't tell us what to do. It's a freedom of association right enshrined in this case, uh, NAACP versus Alabama, Supreme Court Justice John Marshall. uh, Economic reprisals, loss of employment, threat of physical coercion, and manifestations of physical hostilities. There's There's a quote from the United States Supreme Court. You do not want to disclose donor identities to organizations, philanthropic news organizations, be precisely because of the fear and the intimidation and the sure, coercion. Sure. Quite different than Charlie Chester at, at CNN admitting what his actual and what the actual uh, motives and agenda are. Um, and if I was doing that, people should expose me, because these people have a tre- tremendous power, and it's their and it's their ability to manufacture the public's consent. You know, I think that informed consent in this country is critical in the American founding and this sort of Jeffersonian ideal of the, of the of the public's right to know, which makes us much different than any other country in the history of the, the world, perhaps, right? And, and the American experiment and the, and the American ideal, that people have to have access to actual information. And the only way for them to do it, by the way, I'm a 501c3, the economics of Project Veritas. You're right. People... Talk about how the money we raise. We have hundred thousand donors that give us this money. I started with nothing. I mean they they were saying I was funded by Right Wing Billionaires when I literally was broke and and destitute on
0: my credit but card. But were you? Did you ever? Were, were was you, so,
1: I was so broke with that Acorn story. I took yeah. the Chesapeake Bay Bridge because it was $4 less. Mm-hmm. People thought I was nuts.
0: Yeah. So they project, well, it's all about- So the story about Koch brothers, that, know, that's a lie. That they never participated in helping you out with uh, Project Veritas. We don't disclose our donors. Okay, I mean, it. for
1: all you know, Hillary Clinton is funding us. It doesn't matter. Well, that would change the story. That, it, now, it, now you got Babylon be'es has got a story to but write it wouldn't, about you. But it wouldn't change the story because the, re, the things that we're presenting are real. And, and Upton Sinclair, you know, people forget that like, you know, Nellie Bly and Sinclair and, and Lincoln Stevens, they were all socialists. And you know what, more power to them. If you have an agenda like this, but what you, what you shouldn't do is you shouldn't deliberately mislead and give a false impression to your viewers. It's not as much the motive or, or your political agenda. Yeah. It's that you tell a deliberate untruth to people. It doesn't matter who's funding you. It matters whether you're deliberately telling an untruth
0: Yeah, so for example, like this story, the the Forbes story that was written November 11, 2011, which was a couple months ago, you've read this article, you're a guy that follows this stuff. Uh, 1.9 million since 2011. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what, that's uh, 10 years, 11 years? I don't care how much money you're getting paid for that. So you made four hundred thousand dollars last year. After t- you live in what state, by the way? You live uh, Westchester, New York. Okay, so you're broke is, is what it is. No, I'm serious <laughs> with you. If you're making four hundred grand year in New well, York, fifty percent, you well, got
1: two hundred grand left to yourself. Well, here's an interesting thing about economics because I, I think it's a fascinating question. We're a full philanthropic news organization. Now you know they're a billionaire uh, chairman of media companies We've yeah. settled lawsuits. We've never settled lawsuits. So it'll cost me two million dollars to get the jury verdict in the court case. Two million. I could've we could've given this someone fifty thousand dollars and settled the lawsuit. Why would we not do that? Well, if you're a businessman, if you're if you're if your imperative is cash, money, if you want to keep money in your pocket, you're a masochist. If you look at this and say, I could spend fifty thousand dollars to make the lawsuit go away, or I could spend two million dollars, go through discovery, go to trial, and I might lose. Yeah. And we've never settled a case. And that's why our legal bills at Veritas are some some years five million dollars a year five million, and all proceeds from this book goes to our organization to pay our reporters' salaries. But the economics of of journalism, there's no business model for investigative reporting. It's self evident. Um, all of the corporations have slashed their investigative bureaus because it's too expensive. It's, it's too painful, and that's why our, our model is the
0: 501c3, the nonprofit philanthropic model. I mean, the, the story continues to say, well, Mother Jones, liberal magazines, pays its president only two twenty five, dollars and they generated $16.6 The Daily Caller News Foundation, which publishes conservative content online, pays their chief development officer 138 Okay, and they keep going with all these other stories. Judicial Watch, another uh, right-leaning group, pays its treasurer, $395,000, and they go pro Anyways, they're telling all these stories. Here's, here's kind of where, where, where I'm going with this uh, uh, part here. So if somebody from your own organization went out there and said, listen, I work for James, the other day he offended me because he made a joke that really upset me. He made a comment about the Chiefs losing and how excited he was and how dare you say anything about Pat Mahomes, Right. I have access to all the people that give. Here's a list I give it up. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't care. You'd be like, okay, that's part of the whistleblower game. Which which list? The, the, uh, Whoever the, the donors are
1: to you. That would, would be part of I, the I wrote a whole chapter in this book about this. And I'm and I'm writing a, a book about journalism ethics. I'm writing a manual because no one has really ever done this before. So I'm trying to define the boundaries. And this is a very critical point. There are only two things we keep secret. Because really, because really, underlying your 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 line of questioning here is this notion of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Like James O'Keefe, you probably you're, it's your cross to bear. You probably do things in private. And my answer is: Listen, I, we all make mistakes. We're all human. But there are two things that so help me God, I will not disclose because it, it is enshrined in the fundamental values that we hold as Americans, which is number one, the rights to protect our sources. And the, and the right to protect our donors. By the way, if the United States Supreme Court were to order me to reveal who released that document from the Pentagon, I would be held in contempt of court and go to jail to protect my source. The, I, w- I would, like Jack Anderson, uh, the legendary muckraker from the 1970s, I would, I would submit to your honor that you're an error. And I would, not, I would not oblige with that. And I would, and I would this is, I would, be, I would be, I would have to face incarceration in perpetuity Rather than disclose my, my source, this is this is enshrined in, in the DNA of the First Amendment. You don't disclose your source, and you don't disclose. If the NAACP, to, to borrow an analogy, um, in 1958, were ordered by the Supreme Court to disclose who donates to the, the uh, you know an organization that protects the rights of African Americans, that w- that's what that case was about. So when yeah. you when you ask me, well, what if they published your information? I'm sorry, but so help me God! There are two things I will never disclose, and I cannot disclose. Oh, by the way, because to do so yeah. would be anathema to the very to the very things that give us the First Amendment in the first place. Okay, so no, no, no donor has ever been. Uh, of course, the people that are trying to disclose these donors don't share a, a, a faith in these principles. They don't like the First Amendment, and 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 that's the only public policy issue that I take a stance on. Anything else, I don't really have a p- political views. But on this, on this, here I stand, I can do no other. And that's why I wrote that chapter called Secrecy, because I, I meditated on this, and I realized everything else I have to have disclosure on. And by the way, we do file a tax return, and we put it on our website. Do you know any other news organization that does that? No, we do. We we publish that 990, we, we disclose... Everything. We go through discovery and litigation. I've been deposed more times than I can count. By the way, I like depositions. I have a good time being deposed. You know why? Because I got nothing to hide. You know who doesn't like being deposed? The New York Times. They're scared of that. You know why? Because they have everything to hide. And that's the difference, really. That's the difference between Project Veritas and, and anyone else. So on, on those two things, I, I would never want to disclose them, and I will fight to the death to not disclose so, them.
0: So so I, I uh, support your decision for doing that, and I'm, I'm uh, part of uh, that uh, uh, understanding that, it, like for example, the other day somebody messaged me and said, hey, did you know Patrick B. David gave to the following organizations, and he gave money to this and this, and he was at this event. I'm like, I was. What do you want me to mm-hmm. do? Where did you get this information from? Well, this person told me that you did this. Okay, so on one end, if somebody wants to release it, they release it. On the other end, this is privacy for who I want to give to. And that, that part of it has been compromised a little bit right now. But you said something. You said, uh, you know, never disclose the source, right? The word, never disclose the
1: source. If, if you've if, comma, if you've promised confidentiality to, to the source of the information. But,
0: but don't you think that can be abuse, uh, abused by uh, uh, both sides? Meaning... Hey, uh, yeah, things that are yours or mine. Something's happening. Okay, all right. So, like the the hey, this dossier we got on Trump's uh, meddling in the elections with Russia, but it's a, it's a source. We cannot tell you who the source is because we have to protect the source, right? Isn't that something that's abused to constantly say? we cannot disclose the source. So both sides come out and Trump will come out and say, we yeah. have to find out who the whistleblower is, you know, when that took mm-hmm. place, when he was coming out. And then Schiff will come out and say, you know, the, the history of protecting whistleblowers in America, we have to protect these whistleblowers. It's always protect the whistleblower when it's on their side. And it's always expose the whistleblower and the source when, when it's say on sides, the opposite side. I, again, I, I hear what you're I, saying. I know you don't like I, identity politics. Yeah, None of like identity I, politics. I, I hate identity politics. I do too. So my,
1: my whole mission is to fight against that but and, unf- unfortunately, people, well, I hear what you're saying, yeah. but but I'm living in a normative world. I, I understand that that is the current status quo. Sure. When I was raided by the FBI, the ACLU defended me, which was so shocking to, to right wingers. It, it almost made their heads explode. They they couldn't fathom this. Okay, like oh, the what what party appointed the judge that ordered the FBI to stop? Well, it was an Obama appointed federal judge, and I reject the premise that we have to live in this world of sides because there is only one truth. Now, you're right. I'm not saying you're wrong. You are actually describing the current series of events where well, when the whistleblower comes out against Trump, who we want to know who it is. But yes and no. I think there are some people that are, that are so political that they, they let their politics get in the way of these values, these primary values. Uh, Bart Niki V. Vopper, a Supreme Court case from 2001, when you want to live in a society which places a primary value on freedom of the press. It's a concomitant of life. You, you have to live with this notion that if a, if, the, if a source gives you a document from inside the Pentagon or wherever, the White House, it could be the cleaning lady, whoever, you protect the, the, the identity of that person. And the reason some have said the reason why the ACLU defended me after the, the feds raided my home in November was because they didn't want it to happen to them. Sure. They, under the, a exactly. DeSantis administration. Yeah. So so there still is in the Venn diagram of the, you say, sides. Integrity, a little bit of
0: integrity Just there. there.
1: There's, a, there's an overlap yeah. between the left and right in this country. Yeah. And it's that overlap, that that little overlap that gives me hope. In fact, I want to expand the overlap. When mm-hmm. the ACLU defended this, there you have it. When the ACLU defended, that was a beautiful moment. That was probably one of the most beautiful moments of my life um, because- I said to myself, there are we are finally talking about principles. We are talking about the things that and I'm gonna sound like a hippie here, so forgive me, but I believe mm-hmm. I actually believe this. The things that unite us are so much more powerful than what divides us. They ask us to focus on our divisions. But that right there is beautiful. That is an that's an incredible moment. And, and and then you have to say, why is the ACLU defending James O'Keefe? And that's the real conversation, that's the beautiful conversation that makes us American, that makes this country wonderful because we give people information and we don't disrupt the right
0: of people to get the information. Uh, so, So this is where Bill Maher wins because Bill Maher says, be very careful with the censorship game you're playing because it can come back and bite you in the butt when the administration changes, right? So you see Bill Maher coming out and some people are saying, well, Bill Maher is becoming too conservative. You know, Bill Maher is becoming way too conservative. He went out there one time, he said, look, I took the vaccines. I took it and I got COVID. I don't I don't know what to tell you. I, I did what I was told to do and I still got so you kinda start see some of that stuff taking place. So he's True. starting
2: to call out the people on the left just as much as you would typically
0: call out the people on the right. Yeah, he just he did says, a thing about that this, this past week. He says 30 years ago the reason why yeah. comedians do well making fun of the right is because that was funny. Yeah. He says try making fun of Pelosi. What the hell are you going to say about Pelosi? He says but today yes. today's left is making it easy for the right to make fun of the Correct. left. He specifically so, said I haven't changed. I'm still the pot
2: smoking yeah. non-married making fun of You've everybody. Changed. You've changed. Yeah, so, exactly.
0: So, so the only thing I'm saying that my point only, the only point I'm making to you is, you know, again, going back to the fact that the whistleblower who comes, like Snowden, remember when he came up with the 30,000 emails and people are like, well, this is not, Cuomo said, this is not the right thing to do. You know, this is just not right. You don't do that kind of stuff. Some of this information doesn't protect the level of hypocrisy on both sides against each other. When they use the tactics against each other, that's when the American voter who I believe, James, America's run by the 12% of voters. Not the ones that, you know, they're going to vote. When you're saying identity identity politics, those on one side that no matter what you tell them, they're going to vote left. Those on one side that no matter what you tell them, they're going to vote right. I think America's run by 12%. I think you're right. That 12% is who we have to win. If we win the 12% over and they sit there and say... You know what? I don't know if I like those two stories, James. It, but this one, I kind of have to agree
1: with them. Well, your 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 point about leaks, I, I there's a part of this book, American Muckraker. I talk about this. This the idea of leaks, whistleblowers, and 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 I think the 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 distinction, the qualifiers, if you can see the information yourself. So Snowden, when he brought those documents, you could see the documents, right? You weren't really relying upon Ed Snowden's credibility as a witness. The documents were self evident. W- w- my problem is when the, when the anonymous sources right, say, you know, people familiar with the matter. <laughs> mm-hmm. these people? I think I think you have a point. Yeah. Uh, sources familiar with the matter. Uh, we don't have any reason to trust the Washington Post when they tell us that. We don't know who these people are. So I, I agree with you if they don't show us the evidence, okay? And, and an analogy I would draw is when you use an anonymous source which Veritas doesn't really, I don't think I've ever, ever reported something without showing you the evidence. I don't say, well, you have to believe me because I say so. When, As a journalist, when you say you have to believe me because I say so, you're withdrawing from the ATM of your credibility. But you've got to make deposits sometimes into the ATM, deposits, evidence. But the New York Times and Washington Post don't actually give you any evidence. Here's an example. The Trump tax return story. The, this was a story about a year and a half ago that was concurrent to one of our stories that we did. The New York Times published a story, about, but they didn't print one document. They didn't show you any pictures. They didn't show you any evidence. They asked you to believe them because they are the New York Times. When I sued the New York Times for defamation, it came out in court, in court documents, in the deposit, in the discovery, rather, in the, in the uh, answer to our defamation lawsuit. It came out that they admitted they got the facts wrong in the article and they refused to update their article. That means that right now on the internet, there's an article. It's on Wikipedia. Facebook uses it as the fact check. That's wrong. And they admitted in court it's wrong, but it has not been updated. Now, what is that if not disinformation? So when they accuse Joe Rogan of disinformation, the New York Times in court saying we got it all wrong and they haven't fixed the article, which remains on the Internet. It's literally an Orwellian dystopia. So when they say believe us because people are familiar with the matter, tell us that this is so there's no reason for you to believe them unless you can see it for yourself. So again, the rule is, and I write about this book. This is I'm I'm creating a rules for journalism. Don't trust the anonymous sources unless they show you, unless they've given you the actual raw evidence and have have a track record of showing you raw evidence every once in a while.
0: Yeah, there there is a uh, what's the, the there's a rule when you go to a journalism school, whatever school may be. I mean, obviously Columbia is one of the biggest ones, but they're pretty much politically on, on one side, what is the level of accountability that journalists have? None. None what, but there is, though. There, there used to be. I mean, if you go back years ago... They were held accountable for certain things that they were supposed to investigate the truth, then you're supposed to tell both sides, here's what this side is doing, here's what this side is doing, and if you're wrong, you come out and apologize. There was four things journalists were held accountable to uh, uh, according to the, what is the journalism uh, journalist uh, uh, organization out there? There's, do you remember when we talked about yes, this like a year did. and a half ago? Um, anyways, I don't remember it's that. It's kind
2: but of like the Hippocratic Oath for journalists. Yeah,
0: the, 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 they
1: have something. A uh, society of professional journalists has a, has a, a code. Uh, I can't recall the the, 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 rules of this code, mm-hmm. but, uh, I think the press has an important obligation to police itself. The media has no self-policing mechanism. So the press, you know, there's a need for self-examination and, a And a degree of open mindedness to the criticisms that are leveled against it. But what's happened, I think, it's about integrity. Um, and and there used to be a lot of libel lawsuits, actually. People forget in the nineteen eighties, you know, sixty minutes was sued many times, many times. Now the rub on me is that they attack me for being sued. (laughs) I've won every lawsuit. So we can talk about that. You won every lawsuit. Every single one. You have never settled a lawsuit. Personally, Myself, James O'Keefe, not Project Veritas. I settled a lawsuit before Project Veritas was created. I never settled a lawsuit again. We we won every case, but media settle lawsuits all the time. I mean, CNN or uh, Washington Post settled with Nick Sandman. That was the young man with the Native American in Washington D.C., mm-hmm.
2: and they're not attacked for it. They they get away with it. Well, they were called out for that though. They were definitely wrong, and they had they were held to the fire on that. Do you consider yourself a journalist? Yes. I
1: mean, more specifically, American muckraker. Muckraker. Again, depends upon what your definitions of these things are. Would you say that you're a supporter of Donald Trump? Uh, Am I a supporter of Trump? I I support maybe some of the things that he said or done, but... uh, I have to remain independent and nonpartisan.
2: Well, the reason I ask is because you've been an advocate for journalists. That you've, when you got raided by the FBI, you yeah. basically, in so many words, said this is ridiculous. Journalists should not be treated like this. But I saw a clip of you speaking yep. on a podium with a big banner, yep. Trump in the back. It was a Trump event, a dinner of some sort, and you said, "We must go after the media."
1: Yes, absolutely. So.
2: I'm just trying to understand if the, okay. If the, so you're at a Trump event. Yep. You're speaking. You're the speaker. I, I suppose it's a Trump event. You're saying going after the media. So I, I know you've been pretty bold on saying, look, left, right. I don't. I mean, who even knows at this point? Yeah. You know, you brought the example of 104 professors are liberal. Uh, you know,
0: it's one in, is in, one is conservative, yes. out of
2: balance. Yeah. But ultimately, I think what Pat was asking, you was like, if you do 100 stories, kind of 99 of them are against the quote unquote left. You could easily find Trump's tax return stories. You could easily go against Steve Bannon. He's been held, in, you know. Sure. And, and so and, I guess my question yeah. is like, he, you know, uh, I don't there's know. An if there's, an, a- there's an answer to your okay. question.
1: You may not like it. But I'm, I'm, but I, I, t- I don't have an agenda here. I'm asking play. a question. It's though. self-evident. The first, the first Amendment does not protect defamation. The the New York Times versus Sullivan case establishes the actual malice for defamation. You can't you can't lie about a public figure. So when I say go after the media, it is it is consistent with First Amendment principles to expose what the media is doing wrongly. That's consistent with the First Amendment. The First Amendment does not cover intentionally lying to people. So when we say, go, I mean, I think one of Trump's virtues, something I did like about the president, was his highlighting the fact that we shouldn't necessarily trust everything we're told by these media. And by the way, don't take my word for it. You can look at our stories on CNN and the New York Times where we've exposed these people that have admitted they're lying to people. And that's not thats not what the First Amendment was designed to do when Jefferson talked about we need newspapers more than we need government. Um, it, it, it goes back to this, this, this ideal. And by the way, I've also spoken at Duquesne University. I've spoken to groups that are hostile to me and behind me was you know Duquesne University and Marty Barron and Dean Backay and and if and if and if the ACLU wants to have me speak, I'd love to speak there. I'll speak anywhere. I will speak, as my mother and sister once said to me, if there's only one person who's going to listen to the truth that you need to speak, you speak it. So if if the if a Key West uh, Republican group wants to have me, or if uh, Duquesne wants to have me, or I don't know what we we're referencing there, but any place with a banner behind me. PBD podcast. If I can, if I can speak these principles, I will speak them. And I, and I agree with, with certainly some of the things that Trump has said about the media. Yes.
0: Okay, so how about we now that we've done a lot with you, let's go into some current events if you're okay now, with that.
1: I don't know what the protocol is, but would you mind if I take a bathroom? Break oh, go for, for it. For you go 60 ahead. Sixty seconds. You
0: go. Um, you'll be the third person in the history. Uh, of guess uh, us has done this. You just ended up on the soy boy list. You're, you're, I'm sorry. I, I know. No, go for it. Go. Maybe go this ahead. is a
1: moment. Maybe I'm being exposed <laughs> on, on the record here.
2: <laughs> I say we follow him to the bathroom, make sure he's not no, checking no, any notes. Okay. No, no, no. I'm, I'm,
1: I'm trying to hydrate it after my Project Veritas yes. musical. I'll be right back. Alan, do you know
2: where
0: the bathroom is. I do, sir. Okay. All right, sounds good. While you're doing He's that, He's the third member know. now. You were the first. Tom was the, was the second. Tom, yeah. He's the third? Yes. Have you done it twice or have you done it I've once? Just once. I okay, was folks, of it so once. here's what we're going to do when he comes back. We're going to cover <laughs> the Joe Rogan, Spotify, Neil Young story, as well as Harry and Megan who urged Spotify to stop COVID-19 misinformation. We'll cover that. We'll cover all the different names that came up with. Willie Nelson, Bruce Springsteen, Barbara Streisand, Queen, Paul McCartney, Rolling Stone, David Grohl, a bunch of guys that are going against Spotify. We'll also talk about Canadian truckers. But meanwhile, you... You and I, why don't we talk about uh, uh, Brady's retirement? Yeah. You know, he, he came out and just said, you know, he hasn't said it yet. Even his father contacted, uh, David, if we can close that door, even his father contacted ESPN, TMZ reported saying, look, this guy hasn't announced retirement. He contacted the chief saying, Listen, not the, the Chiefs, but the- uh, Roger Goodell, you're saying? No, no, the Bucks saying, oh, gotcha, look, Bucks. I haven't made my decision yet. Where do you stand? Do you think he is retiring, but he's upset that story I, leaked?
2: Yeah, well, how could you think he's not retiring at this point? Why would that even come into the atmosphere and people talk about it? Could you imagine if that's actually not true? And he's like, I'm actually coming back. True, what Brady a nonsensical-
0: is so, Brady is so maniacal yeah. that it, I think Brady may have had a conversation with a few people thinking about he's mm-hmm. retiring, and that, hey, here's kind of the direction I'm going. Somebody leaked it. Brady behind closed doors is so pissed off that they leaked it because he's always wanted to control the narrative. He wants to come out and say, I'm retiring with a video or a message. You know how he typically does it with a video that comes out? And uh, imagine if he flips and he says, You know what? The hell with you guys. You did that? I'm going to go one more year. Well, if there's anybody that can <laughs> basically could
2: basically flip, flip it on <laughs> us,
0: it's someone that's basically saying, You think
2: you're going to control the yeah. narrative about me and my life? Yeah. No, I'm coming back. We're going to run it back.
0: Yeah, Edelman but, came out and he said, I'm going to miss you, babe, or something like that, you know, on Twitter. Who and said that? Thing. Edelman. Oh, Julian he's Edelman. Miss, yeah, yeah he said, like, I'm going to miss you, babe. babe. Specifically, yeah. babe. Well, so, he's,
2: a, you know, they, they, they got a little bromance yeah, going they, on they over sure there, those do. two. But could you imagine? if this is a quote-unquote fake news story, James O'Keefe type vibe, where you know we can expose the media for getting it wrong, yeah. and ne- next thing you know, he's coming back.
0: So ultimately the question is, do you think he is in fact retiring? Um, uh, oh, I, I have to tell you, I think the conversations took place. I think he is so pissed off right now. I think he's so furious right now that it leaked to anybody yeah. else. I don't think he's the type of guy that would want the story to leak. I think he's lost his mind with being furious. He wanted to do it his way, and it kind of changed it up. But, you know, there's some people that are upset saying, listen, there's one. Because we were at the birthday party. It was uh, Tico's birthday party when we heard the announcement about. uh, 10 years old. 10 years old. He'll turn turn, 10 tomorrow. And uh, people are like, no, he didn't. He didn't retire. Yeah, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. TMZ saying he didn't. So, I don't know. Do I think he's going to go? I think he can play one more year. I think he can play one well, more year. Well, he led
2: the league in, in yards, uh,
0: yards yeah.
2: uh, touchdowns. Yeah. But did you attempts, see the game? Did you see his last game when I he mean, lost? He was not going out without a fight.
0: No, no, but did you see? He, it, it, it almost was, you know, you, you looked at his face at certain moments. It was kind of like, do I, like afterwards, especially, yeah. do I really want to go through this one more time? Because think about it if you're him right now, here's what you're thinking about who are you going to put around me? Okay. I need a little bit more help. I got hit a little bit too much. Okay. Maybe I'm. Antonio Brown nonsense. His best receiver went out for the the, season. He had a couple other injuries. Like maybe he's sitting there saying, can I do this one more time? What other record is there left for him to break? But you
2: actually, a week ago, were saying there's something about the way he did the press conference. You were actually the one saying that there was writing on the wall.
0: Yeah. No, I think, I think I've think i never heard him speak that language. You know when somebody speaks a language. Like, for example, you're sitting with your buddies and somebody says, I'm not going to lie to you, man. You know, I'm just sick and tired of being... Married? this is like freaking very hard. Or I'm sick and tired of being single. And you're like, this guy's never talked like this before. There's something going on there. There's something going on there. Okay, folks, we got James back here. O'Keefe, are you a NFL fan, Tom Brady fan?
2: Do you want to weigh in on this? Well, Retirement.
1: No, I used to be a Bills fan when I was growing up. I I'm loved the so Buffalo Bills. Man. A lot of L's in that Bills. And that was oh, eight, nine years old, and they lost their fourth straight Super Bowl. I cried. My dad had to say, it's just a game, son. But,
0: 1994,
1: game. They, they lost four Scott Super Scott Norwood, man. Scott Norwood. Um, Doug Flutie. Remember Doug Flutie? Of course. He was my hero in, in high school. I loved Doug Boston College. Came out of CFL. No, didn't he? Start uh, off yeah. with the I, CFL. I went one. to Giant Stadium, then Giant Stadium in a Doug Flutie jersey. Uh, Jets fans, worst fans. I'm dressed as a Bills fan at Giant Stadium and they're like throwing Flutie flakes at me. And uh, But I love Doug Flutie. He was my, my favorite
0: growing up And I'm sad to see Brady retired. So I, so when I came to the states, 1990, November 28, the football teams you had was Cowboys. You had a few different teams. I was a diehard Bills fan. Thurman Thomas. Really. Oh, B.B., Bryce Paul, wow. Bruce, Andre Smith, Reed, Bruce Smith, Andre Thurman Reed, Thomas, Thurman, I mean Jim just Kelly. Kelly, Jim the Kelly, the coach. There was something unique about these Mark guys. Mark oh. Every I was a Bills fan when I came to the States, and I was a Lakers fan. So for the first six years, I was in bad shape. As a, as a <laughs> yeah. 13-year-old kid, I had therapy sessions twice a week, you know, going through it. Do goal. you remember the game in 1999 with the, the Music City
1: Miracle with the Titans and the Bills? Yeah, where of, there course. Was the, of course. That yeah. crushed Titans. me. Yeah. Oh, right. I don't know if, and I think it crushed a lot Kevin of Bill's fans. Kevin Dyson, yes, that cru- they benched Doug Flutie, yeah, and put in Rob Johnson. He lost his shoe. Remember that game? That was. That was my moment. I I, I never. I used to we, love. We just Do you figured you remember out remember his the problem? Oilers
0: game. Do you remember the Oilers game? <laughs> I, was, I was where they I, made I this, I made I this comeback. My, I was Frank Reich or something. Oh, yeah, like yeah, right? thirty-three, 33 it was. to three. Yeah. My dad was at the bar in but New Jersey. Well, they won that game. And they came yeah, of back. And won. They yeah, they won that game. Listen, my dad was taking me up to San Francisco. Yeah. We're driving up there. We're listening to the radio. I'm like, I'm devastated. They're down. I'm like, turn off the radio. I don't want to listen to it. We get to San Francisco. We get to a restaurant to eat. We look at the screen. It says the greatest comeback of all. I'm like, you're. Greg. (laughs) Buffalo Bills. Yeah. It was the comeback. 1994. Yeah. Something like that.
1: Maybe this is the Freudian moment you want to know this, this 1999. I remember this game. I I was obsessed with the Buffalo Bills in the nineties. After this game, it crushed me. And I know it crushed a lot of people. They benched my hero, Doug Flutie and they put in Rob Johnson.
2: Anyway, so... You know, uh, well, I think we figured out a few things here. Now we, <laughs> The truth whole, has been revealed. We've been trying to You've figure out... You've elicited the truth. Exactly. Yeah. We've Dude, been trying, trying to make is. out what makes O'Keefe tick. That's what pissed him off. It's up. the Buffalo Bills, spelled B I L L L L L L L. You got a signed Flutie jersey A lot of L's.
0: Do you have a Flutie
1: signed jersey or no? I had a fluted jersey. Yeah, I, I did. I used to wear it to the, the the Jets and the Bills were in the same conference, and every once a year in New Jersey, Meadowlands, I used to go with my dad to see him. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, you know, yeah. the the one thing about sports yeah. is it typically takes you back to a That's moment true. with your mom or your dad or your brother or your sibling. Yeah, do and we and want I've, to
2: tell or keep the truth? Was Doug Flutie, come on and We brought Doug Flutie.
0: <laughs> if you're watching, Doug. All right, so let's talk about what's going on with the Freedom Convoy in Canada, which is going viral. It's, it's being talked about everywhere except for mainstream media. I don't know if you've been following this story or not. Let's kind of go through a couple things that's going on there, folks. Uh, hundreds of truckers block Ottawa in Freedom Convoy to, prote- to protest. Vaccine Mandates. It's a France uh, 24 story. Hundreds of truckers have uh, blocked the streets of uh, Central Auto on Saturday as part of the self-titled Freedom Convoy to protest. Vaccine Mandates required to cross the U.S. border. Flying a Canadian flag, waving banners, demanding freedom, and chanting slogans, slogans against Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The truckers were joined by thousands of other protesters, angered not only by the COVID-19 restrictions, but by uh, broader, broader uh, discontent with the government. An enormous clamor uh, rang out of hundreds of uh, big trucks. Their engines rumbling, sound at their horns. Anyways, I'm going to tell you this other story from Al Jazeera. Why are anti-vaccine Canadian truckers covering, converging uh, converging in Ottawa? I like that title right there, anti-vaccine Canadian truckers. So a convoy of anti-vaccine Canadian truckers and their supporters making its way to the country's capital, Ottawa. Uh, starting on January 15, Canada has required essential service providers previously exempt from vaccination requirements, including truck drivers, to be fully vaccinated across the land. Brought from the U.S., unvaccinated Canadian truck drivers entering the Canada. Entering Canada will need to meet requirements for pre-entry arrival. And day eight testing, as well as quarantine requirement. Now, keep in mind, 90% of these truckers are vaccinated. 77% of the country... Is vaccinated and this Freedom Convoy GoFundMe, if you can go to it, as of last night it was at 8.7, 8.8 million. If you just type in Freedom Convoy GoFundMe, they may be over $9 million. James, I'm assuming you're following, your, following the story. What are your thoughts on what's going on right now with these truckers? Uh, you know, 9.2 million. 9.2 million people? $9.2 million was uh, oh, raised. raised. Is it, they haven't taken it down yet? Have they uh, taken it down? No, they haven't. 113,000 owners. My, my first surprise
1: is that GoFundMe has not taken this down. <laughs> um, but, but, but I guess that it goes to show you the difference between how the media portrays things and how things actually are, because so many of these people in Canada believe in this, and it's and it's self-evident in the pictures you're seeing. Like I said, pictures, evidence. You can see the trucks. You can see the—so the, so they say it's fringe, but— that's a characterization that doesn't seem accurate, that doesn't seem based upon reality. It does not seem fringe. It seems mainstream. It seems that there's a, a substantial minority, if not majority, of people that agree with these people. So I, what, what I draw from, from this, uh, you know, the sort of the Orwell two plus two equals four quote is that how things are portrayed by the Canadian leadership and the media are not as they actually are in, in, in terms of the grassroots support for this. Adam, do you have thoughts on this?
2: Well, what's the
0: ultimate story here? They're just not, they're protesting mandates. They're protesting mandates. Some people that are protesting against the mandates are fully vaccinated and took the boosters. Interesting. And they're out there saying, I'm fully vaccinated. I just don't want mandates. Okay, so walk me friends. through that mindset. They're basically saying, Look,
2: I did it. I support it. I mean, who, Dr. Robert Malone, who you interviewed, is vaccinated.
0: Yeah. He, he basically
2: said, I almost got crushed by COVID. Yeah, if but you can however, show that video, David, if yeah. you can
0: pull up that video so people can see but what's However, going on out there. I don't
2: believe. In the mandate. Ultimately, isn't that... What, what? is this picture of here? I this is Ottawa, one. Canada. Those are the truckers. Is that currently? Yeah, so this yeah. is a yes. video
0: of... This is
2: about a day ago. There you go. Of yeah. Ottawa.
1: Are they wearing masks? <laughs> I don't mean as a judgmental question. Are they wearing masks or are they willing to... Uh, uh, Violate the, the so, city protocol. I don't know. If here's masks crazy. Are so,
0: so, so guys, the border is 5,500 miles long. Canada and U.S. border it's 5,500 miles right. long. Okay, you got these truck drivers. Which the strangest thing is, if anybody, co- their job is to quarantine. It's truck drivers. They're by themselves driving. Like it's, <laughs> it's not like they're around yes. anybody else. They're driving. Unless there's two 99 the truck, percent you know? of the time, unless if you got another person with you, but you're driving by yourself, maybe with another person, to do your job generally, it's by yourself. And they're saying, if you don't do this by the 15th, to cross the border to, to this is not okay. just a Canada thing. Exactly, it's to cross that's from, a
2: crossing the border. So you US, U.S. to question. Canada,
0: Canada to U.S. You're
2: you crossing the, you know, the international border. Yeah. Just to make
1: a populist comment too. I, something my friend Laura Logan always says to me, which I think is very poignant. And this this is a visualization of this is really amazing visuals we're looking here, at, uh, Instagram videos, is that they have tremendous power, and we're nothing. We're, you know that's the comment I see if people say. Come, we're, we're nothing. We're insignificant. We're nothing. But what Lara says to me, we're not alone. We're, she says we're not alone, and and we, the people. It's it's a cliche. It's a tale as old as time. But we are so insignificant compared to the powers that be, that have the power of coercion and the power of the you know the, the legislatures. But this is a very amazing moment, you know, that that we, the people, and even Canadians, we,
0: the people. By the way, go go to Elon Musk's tweet because Elon Musk tweeted about the truckers and what he said. Canadian about truckers them. rule. Yeah, Canadian truckers is rule what is said? what he said. Yeah, some like that. Uh, so, So think about it this way. Who would have thought Kyrie Irving, okay, truck drivers in Canada, you got Elon Musk, you got Joe Rogan, you got the strangest camps that are sitting there saying, dude, can we just not be forced to do what you're telling us to do? I'll take the vaccine, I just don't want it before. So I had a couple of people over at the house uh, for the birthday party, and you know, some of the guys from the community, very successful business people, and the conversation about vaccine came up from them. And I said, did you hear about Tom Brady? What Tom Brady? I'm like, did you hear about truckers? What truckers? I'm like, you're not following the story? No, I'm not following, the, I read New York Times and uh, Wall Street Journal Journal every day, and I've seen nothing about truck, truck I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, zero. So they're in front wow. of me kind of going through it. These are two professionals. Both of them are C suite executives running their companies, living in beautiful legit property, people. legit, legit people. They know nothing about what's going on. And so, so tell me about what are your thoughts on vaccinations? What are your thoughts on this? I said, listen, I think uh, to each his own, I think it's something that uh, probably helps minimize for certain people. My dad had COVID and he had uh, pneumonia simultaneously, and he had the COVID shot, and he was able to go through it at the age of 79. And he just took the booster and he's glad to have it, right? And then he says, how about yourself? How about your employees? How about this? What percentage of home office is vaccinated? They're in the health industry. I have to get everybody vaccinated. One of my friends got all their doctors and nurses in LA to get them vaccinated. 20 of their employees and doctors just resigned. They said, you can't force us to do this. So there is a community out there and they're finding each other. And they're sitting there saying, look, man, I just want you to leave me alone. Don't bother me. Let me do this. By the way, in Canada, things are so strange in Canada because one of the reporters, I don't know if you saw that, James, he said, look, if we have to choose between keeping you alive and feeding you, we're going to lean towards keeping you alive. (laughs) Like what did he just say? You know what he just said? If we have to choose between us not letting these truck drivers do their job, so food is not being delivered to you. These are thousand, these are 15,000 truck drivers. So food doesn't come and you don't have enough food for a week or two or three weeks. For us, it's more important to keep you alive from, the co- from COVID than feed you. Hmm. And, and we have to kind of go through that. And Quebec is saying they're gonna start opening up movie theaters with one rule. You can't sell popcorn because they don't want you to go in without a mask on. Because they want nobody eating popcorn in movie theaters. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very strange dynamic. Well, this is what
2: we talked about last time. Yeah. This is more than just a health problem. There's an economic problem. There's a uh, social societal problem. You're staying at home. you a the depression problem. How many people are not getting out of the house, being able to exercise? You know, we we, we uh, the, the quote. I mean, it, James has been busting out quotes all day. I don't know who said this, but he said, "War is too important to, to be left to just the generals." Just like a pandemic is too important to be left to just the scientists. There's a lot of business people, there's a lot of um, just regular people who have a voice and have a say, and it's not just one, you know, one size fits all type cure to this. And, and look yeah. what's happening see, in Canada. The they're, Elon they're not going to fit
1: up with uh, this. Quote, uh, CB radios, are, those are the radios they use for the trucks,
0: are free from co- censorship. Can you and control, control? control. Zoom, zoom in so we can, the audience can see CB, what he's saying? CB, David, CB go to radios. the tweets. CB radios are the free. The reply,
1: Elon Musk. There, CB radios, the truck radios are free for media control. Those are the old radios we grew up in as kids. You know, even on, it's it's a very amazing moment for me. This is all about. I go back to the power of the image. I'm going to speak from a journalistic perspective on this matter, not as a public policy health issue. It's the it's the idea that those are a profoundly moving images of a convoy of trucks and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. There are tens of thousands of people. And then the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, you wouldn't even know about it if you lived in Manhattan. That's why that, That's wild. strange. If you yeah. only read the New York Times, yeah. if you only, you would not see it. That's actually really an amazing observation there. You wouldn't even know about it if you only read certain publications. And that's not right. They don't want you to see. Why don't they want you to see the images? It's because they want a specialized class of men, as Edward Bernays said, and Dean Lippman said, we need to interpret the data. We don't want you to have the images because you might draw wrong conclusions from the images that you see. Well, that's not right. That's James, not right.
2: other than Project Veritas, obviously, what news sources do you trust? Any, any
1: source that I, I can see the evidence myself. I, if it's Would first, you name names? No, because it's like, no, no, you, because it, a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah. I mean, anyone can do this. Any, yeah. any, New York Times can and has done good journalism. But you got to be able to see it, like we're doing
0: right now. Like we're looking mm-hmm. at the uh, image, assuming those images are not doctored. Right, right? there. Go, go to what Dinesh said. When Dinesh was on uh, with us and I did the interview, this is exactly what I said. I don't know why the right isn't doing this. We talked about this on our interview maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, he says, tweets are fine, Elon Musk, but you can dramatically change political and cultural landscapes this way. Hmm. Buy and take over a major social media platform. Acquire or create a TV network like ABC. NBC or CBS, create a world-class online university and offer degrees for free. That's exactly okay. what we talked about in the interview. Can I, you pull up that short and clip? And he
2: replied with interesting Tell Kai ideas. to
0: pull up that short clip with uh, Dinesh and I, because I fully agree with that. I, can, I would like to reply to that tweet. I'm banned on
1: Twitter, so I cannot do so, but I can make a comment right now. Go for it. My comment is that if you're a businessman, you'd have to you'd have to do it as a philanthropic thing. If your job is to generate a profit, it will not help. If you want to tell the truth, if you want to be a news organization, the commercial imperative, if Elon Musk is listening, the commercial imperative, that is to say, for-profit capitalism is incompatible with investigative journalism. You have to be philanthropic. And by the way, this is the way it used to be. You talked about journalism in the 70s and 80s. From what I've read, um, those organizations, it was a lost leader on the company's balance sheet. So ABC News would do these things, says buy ABC and all these – they would do it, but they would do it as a loss leader. They would, they would almost donate money on their balance sheet, profit and loss, to do the work. It didn't generate a profit per se, but they donated it. And if you're going to buy these companies, it's not going to help unless the person is willing to be philanthropic. The billionaire would have to. Uh, uh, you don't think donate. so? You don't think so? I, 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 I believe this. Yes, I, I know so. I, I don't think, and it's self evident. I mean these billionaires settle
0: losses. I don't know if I agree with that. Because Why not? then because then you're saying then you what you just said is that the current mainstream media has zero influence. And they do. Mark Benioff bought Time Magazine. That's a pretty legit one to buy. Well, you know, you got the uh, the Peter guy bought LA Times. You got uh, Amazon Jeff Bezos bought WAPO. If it doesn't work, why are they buying
1: well, it? Well, maybe maybe we're, we're talking about two different things. Yeah. I, I mean to say, if you want to do investigative journalism, if you just want to, people opine and speak opinion and project their political, if the, I don't know if that's what Dinesh D'Souza means. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But if if the idea is you just want to buy a network so that you can project your political views onto your audience. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about doing real information finding and and truth gathering, investigative reporting. You know, do those networks even do investigative reporting anymore? I guess maybe NBC catches the predators or does, what would you do? I don't know, but I mean, really real journalism requires philanthropy is what
0: I'm trying to say. Let's transition into the next story. So Spotify in the last 12 months, They've lost 25% of its value, okay, in the last 12 months. Uh, uh, and, uh, Spotify stock has lost, can you go to that, okay, right there. Spotify stock has lost nearly 25% of its value in 2022, and 40, I was wrong, 45% over the past 20, uh, year, what's going on? So what's the date you see right there? From 2021 to today, it went from being $240, $250 a share to now being what, 190 a share, 184 a share as of, uh, can you go to what it is today? Just go to what the stock is today so we can find out. And during this time, uh, uh, can we find out when they signed Joe Rogan? Put down when they signed Joe Rogan. Spotify signed Joe Rogan that, on what day? That was day? May of 2020, I want to say. So it's been a year June and a half. June of 2020. June of 2020 Give because December 7th was when he was leaving YouTube, something like that when he said he's leaving YouTube. What's the date? May 2020. You're right. Okay, May of 2020. They sound good. Memory, I'm very proud of Thank memory you. of Thank yours. You. So, so then here's what happens. Joe responds yesterday. Did you see what yeah, Joe I did. said? And, and I'm assuming you also saw what he said. I just you watched com- it as I was coming. Yeah, you. you were commenting on it. So let, let me kind of read a few of these things on what's going on, and then we'll get into it. So, Spotify, Joe Rogan and Spotify. Um, let me see if it's this one. Yep, Joe Rogan and Spotify. Uh, Spotify removes Neil Young's music over Rogan's dispute. This is an NBC News story. Spotify said it has agreed to remove Neil Young's music after the famed singer-writer said he wouldn't share the platform with podcaster Joe Rogan, who has been criticized for spreading vaccine misinformation. They can have Rogan or Young, not both. Young76 said, the Heart of Gold singer's solo catalog spanned more than five decades from his 1969 self-titled album to his most recent record, 2021. Barn Young called out the Rogan experience in his letter and da- uh, the danger of Spotify enabling the distribution of potentially fatal misinformation with an estimated 11 million listeners per episode. JRE, which is hosted exclusively on Spotify, has tremendous influence. Spotify has responsibility to mitigate the spread of misinformation on its platform. And then Harry and Meghan, Merkel decided to comment as well. They urged Spotify to stop COVID 19 misinformation from spreading on its platform. This is an insider story. A spokesperson uh, for Arch, uh, Archwell, Harry and Megan's Foundation said in a statement Sunday, Last April, our co founders began expressing concerns to our partners on, at Spotify about the all too real consequences of COVID 19 misinformation on its platform. Spotify shares dropped 12%. following Neil Young's request to remove the music from the platform. Harry and Megan comments followed the decision by Young and Joni Mitchell to request their songs be taken off. The platform, in some cases, a podcast host saying they won't release new episodes. Now, by the way, here's other names that have come up. William Nelson, Bruce Springsteen, which I think he sold his catalog to Sony for half a billion dollars. I don't even know if he can say that. Sony decides whether they want to take it off, I think. Barbra Streisand, Queen, Paul McCartney, Rolling Stones, David Grohl, Joni Mitchell, Pearl Jam are removing their music with Spotify, from Spotify in solidarity. solidarity. And keep in mind that 30% of all the buys of music is on Spotify. Mm-hmm. So if people want to buy a song by Snoop, thirty percent of it is bought on Spotify. So it's not like it's a small amount it of says people Spotify that are. Spotify can keep the fascists.
2: That, well, well, well let's, let's just there's whatever. no there's no this, there's no proof to this comment right here. These artists there's a hundred percent proof to Neil Young and Joni well, Mitchell. If you
0: go, I don't know if this is true. Or oh not. no no no. Go type in Bruce Springsteen and Spotify. If you if you type in Bruce Springsteen and Spotify, that's all you got to do. Because that's what I did yesterday. Type in Bruce Springsteen and Spotify, okay. Right there. It's an NBC story. See yeah, NBC but right his, there. It's his guitarist. It's not him. Yeah. So so okay. So these stories are coming out. What, what are your thoughts on this, uh, James? I've got, I've got many thoughts. I mean.
1: It goes back to, I'm sorry to get philosophical again, but it goes back to this concept about what is misinformation? Because I I watched the Rogan reaction on Instagram as I was driving to your studio this morning. I'm glad I did. And he he said this anecdotally. He said, well, things a year ago or six months ago, about the cloth mask, you would be banned if you said it. Well, now it comes out as true from the experts. So it goes back to this definition of why why are they censoring, why do they want him off because of misinformation. What does that even mean? And what it means is it goes back to the authorized experts say business. So the the government, the CDC, the experts, the pharmaceutical companies, it goes back to what the experts say, but who are these experts? And and it goes back to the the very idea of what we're talking about this whole, these two hour segment, which is the unauthorized information. It's our world is becoming such You are only allowed to think and say what the authorized knowers and the presumed credible sources permit you to say, which is so it's so anathema to what journalism and the media is supposed to be. And Rogan said, he said, you couldn't even say these things a year ago that now you're allowed to say, you know, I want to tell a dirty joke, not too dirty, though. And by the way, I'm happy to say this publicly and privately. You're, I'm, I'm, um, I'm in my—I'm um, not married, but let's for, for this joke, let's say that I am. And uh, I'm, I'm in my bedroom, and I'm having an affair with this beautiful woman. And one night, um, this woman comes into my bedroom. And she goes, oh my God, how could you do this? You, you, how could you do this? You, we've been married for 10 years. And and she's looking at me having this affair. And the next morning, and she said, how could you do that to me? And I said, well, honey, um, that's actually been debunked by experts familiar with the matter. Experts <laughs> say that, uh, that that you never saw that happen, right? So my question is, disinformation, this is a rhetorical question. Disinformation is based upon experts and credible sources Um. And that's the problem with with our modern ecosystem is that you can't say anything contrary to what those experts tell you.
0: What do you think is going to happen with Spotify and Joe long term? Like, do do you see, is there any chance that Spotify is going to make a big decision? Daniel Ek is, do you see
2: anything happening there? The only thing that they've come out and said was that they're going to add content advisories to basically Joe Rogan's podcast. Did you hear what he said, had to say yesterday, Daniel Ek, he came in and made an announcement. He says... Listen, I don't agree with plenty of individuals on Spotify, okay? Some I strongly disagree with. We know we have a critical role to play in supporting creator expression while balancing it with the safety of our users. Quote, unquote, we don't want to play content censor, but we are putting rules in place. Well, this is Section
1: 230. This is a central issue here. This is the White House quote. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not another. So these, these companies can't have it both ways. They can either be platforms or they can be... Sort of, they can make editorial judgments, um, and once these start, well, I saw, Daniel Eck is his name. Yeah. It? CEO once Spotify. you start making decisions to ban certain things, not others, and you start crossing that threshold, now you're effectively a, a news. You're effectively a. You're not protected by those immunities, and 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 you should be sued for liability. These are tough issues, and we've never crossed this Rubicon before. This is a, this is a today here sitting here today. We've never gone this far, so I don't know what the future holds, but. It, I don't know. It could all I, and the other thing is these CEOs of these companies, these for-profit people like Eck, I don't know what his values are, but if your value is money and profit, um they're kind what ends up happening is they're always going to fold. They're not going to be able to stand firm. That's what I think's going to happen. They're going to fold and there's going to be more censorship.
2: And I I think it's bigger than just Daniel Eck. Look at look at uh Twitter and uh Jack Dorsey. You know, people have their thoughts on Jack Dorsey, but but people who know Jack say that the whole reason he started Twitter was for a free speech ecosystem. And he got pushed out by the board, by executives, et cetera, et cetera. So now there's talk of him starting his own platform. But what happens with Spotify? Can, can Daniel Ek hold strong or will the executives come in, the board members come
0: mm-hmm. in and say, no, we're done with you, thank you very much? That's a, that's a great question because listen, 45%, you know how much is 45%? It, you're not talking they lost $16 million you're not talking they lost $100 million, or $400 million, 45%, you're talking about billions of dollars, okay? Billions of dollars, their market cap right there, if you look at, look at their market cap right now. What's the market cap of Spotify? $36.4 billion, do you see it? Do you see the market cap of Spotify? $36.4 billion. If you're talking 45%, what is a drop off to go to $36 billion. That's $70 billion valuation. You're talking about they lost nearly $22 to $24 billion in 12 months. We're not talking a little bit of money. So imagine the conference calls where investors are on and saying, how are you handling Joe Rogan? What are you going to do about it? Imagine a board. Board is sitting there saying, hey, like I remember my board. We had a meeting. It was a tough conversation they had with me. What are you doing to get 100% to, what are you doing to get your agents to get vaccinated? It's a conversation they had with me at my board meeting. So I'm sitting there, I'm having to have a conversation with them. They've had to have a conversation with Daniel saying, what are we doing about You're also, broken? You are also giving
1: a great lecture for your audience about why I am a 501c3 nonprofit organization which protects the freedom of association rights for donors to the First Amendment. Because we don't have this problem. We don't have to disclose our. the Supreme Court has protected our rights. They can't boycott our donors because they don't know their names. And this is the problem. I mean, I, I'm going to go back to my argument. This is the problem with these... I, for-profit news, because Joe, Joe Rogan is technically a man who's disseminating information and news, is that they'll invariably fold, you know, and, and you that's why we have fold? Num- I, 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 I don't, I, <laughs> I mean, I've seen it. The first chapter of my book is called Suffering, because the amount of pain that, that this man is going to, that Eck is going to have to endure to go through this. Um, I, I mean, I, I think the only way forward is fil- philanthropic, nonprofit sort of uh, uh, the model to get information out there where they can't boycott and target the people that support you. So I, as soon as the uh, the $100 million contracts happen, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll
0: see what happens. I, think so. I, I don't think Rogan's going anywhere. I think Rogan's going to be in demand for a long time to come. I don't think Robin, Rogan's going to have a problem because... The, the, yesterday, when he posted a video, did you guys see the commentary of what people said to him? Did you guys, did you look at the commentary? I did not see the All right, so let me ask you a question. If you go to Rogan's Instagram post, so check this out. Go to his Instagram post. Just tap in and Google, Instagram Joe Rogan. I want to show you a couple of people that commented that says who Joe is. So when you think about The Rock, what do you think about The Rock? Type in right there, click on that. What do you think The Rock is? Left, right, center, where do you put The Rock? Politically. I, I don't know center-ish. Well, he protected, he, protect, he de, uh, defended, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, well, uh, O'Keefe uh, doesn't see left, right, center. He, sure, he, he he's not identity exactly. policy. But, you know, he went out there and he had uh, Biden on and Kamala Harris on. But he didn't have Trump on, right? So he supported one side. Now, while, while you look at that, I'll read it, okay, if you can't find it. I'll read it here. So uh, when he posted this video, here's a commentary. Uh, it got 4 million views. Okay, million likes, okay? Uh, the, here's what The Rock said, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson said in the comment section. He commented and he said something about, hey man, you know, uh, I, obviously Tulsi Gabbard commented, I'm trying to find The Rock's comments. Jewel commented, sure, but there is one from The Rock. Man, if, if you can't find it, I hope he didn't delete it. I mean, this thing was up yesterday. Uh, and something about, hey, I can't wait to come on one of these days. And be on the podcast. That's with crazy you. that he hasn't been he on yet. He said that. Yeah, he said, I'd love to one of these. Okay, there you go. Great stuff here, brother. Perfectly articulated. Look forward to coming on one day and breaking out the tequila with you. Okay? And got 60,000. A comment got 60,000 likes. So he's protected. Joe is going to be uh, in demand no matter where he goes. You're uh, saying he's uncancelable? I, I don't know if I'm going to say he's uncancelable. I, when I sat down with Joe, my suggestion to him was, the only way you can protect yourself 100% long-term is to do what? Consider opening up your own thing. For example, if he and Musk teamed up together, imagine nice if him about. and Musk teamed up together to start something, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, I agree with you, that was that was profound. You have to be the chairman of your own company. I, you, that, have to, you have to be the owner and chairman. To be a, to be a journalist, yeah. even, even to, let's take that to the Kind of like what you're doing. To be a journalist, like, that's a very astute yeah. point. I, I, I want to comment on this. I didn't start out thinking, I'm going to create a business with 75 employees and $20 million budget. I, of course I've ever thought I'm going to do that. I said, I need to tell this truth. I need to expose this thing. And then along the way, I realized, okay, in order to not settle the lawsuit, I have to have the autonomy, the power to make that decision. I, no one would have ever allowed me to make these decisions unless I was in control of making those decisions. So you're right. I think I think he has to be the owner and the controller and right now he's, I guess he's in contract with Spotify. Is that correct? He's, Four years. He's not on the board of Spotify, he's right? Not, no, he's
0: not. Well, that's no, the he's issue. Not. But, but I tell you, think about it this way. The other day I was invited to a, a, a party that was going to be in uh, Miami the same night. And I don't know if you remember who the party was by. Do you remember when I told you who the party was? Okay, I'll tell you afterwards. It's one of the biggest uh, guys in technology world who was having a party with everyone that's going to be there. Some big names that were going to be there. I'm going to kind of show you who this was. And, and the reason why I'm saying this, because I think this guy right here needs to be involved in this conversation with Joe and in the conversation with Elon Musk. I think if they do it together, I think there is some damage that can be done if those guys were able to team up together. Because one, you need somebody that understands technology very well. Two, you have to have somebody that has a lot of, no, it's a little bit more than Musk technology. Two, you need somebody that has to know, has access to unlimited amount of resources which who has? Musk, Musk has. And then three, you have to have somebody that's loved, admired, adored, and it's as much in the center as possible, and this is the guy. Right. If, by the way, you can't get Trump involved, because it wouldn't work out if you get a personality like that involved. But there's three people I think if they team up, some damage can be made on this side with Joe and some of these names. So, anyways, uh, uh, last question for you here is, uh, what's the story with you still being on YouTube? Well why isn't YouTube bothering you because I was looking at your stuff I'm like well, let me get this straight this guy's this guy's still on YouTube doing well on YouTube Yeah you're still on YouTube and no one is uh, saying anything about you because on because we, we tell the truth because because we we won every lawsuit
1: because we were very careful and diligent and uh, I mean that's the only explanation we haven't lied about anything to the people we use undercover techniques but there we are with 1.46 million subs I still we still haven't gotten our gold Google what do they call it? The YouTube gold plaque plaque yeah. we got the silver one at a hundred thousand. Um, they won't send us the plaque. Oh, that's <laughs> that, a conscious decision. I don't know. I mean, we haven't gotten it. We've when been, did we, you, when did you, we've uh, been over a million subs for about a year. when did you apply to get the gold? Well, they, they send it to you. They sent us the, the silver un unasked for when we get a hundred thousand. Um, but I know that Tim pool showed me the gold plaque that he got multiple. And I think he used it as a doorstop for his door. Uh, he puts the gold plaque under the door, I think, but um, I don't. I don't know. Um, the, the reality is that we are very diligent and extremely careful. If you watch our news reports on the Project Veritas YouTube channel, uh, they, they are extremely professional, very serious, and, and very diligent. So I, I think they're going to try to find an excuse. You know, at some point it might be like a copyright violation, or you know, you, you're on the street and you hear a song in the radio of a car. But they'll to find, take you off. They'll YouTube, find some bizarre. Saying. Like they did, take us off. One of the videos, because we uh, uh, we were doing a report out uh, in the street in California, and you could see in the corner of the screen a lamp post with, with a, a number for one of the houses. This is absurd. Like, news journalists do this all the time. So we're now we blur every license plate. We're so tediously careful. Yeah. The standards we are applied to is above any journalism standard in the history of the media. And for that reason, at least so far, they have not
0: taken down our news reports. Go to videos. Go to videos and yep. type in uh, uh, "solve for most views." Go to the right, sort yep. by views. The COVID one. Go to the top one. The COVID one. Don't don't click on it. But the COVID one, which was four months ago, uh, five point two million views. And by the way, it's if you've never seen it, folks, you got to watch that. Here's the thing. Uh, I that I can't believe that's still up. I cannot believe that's still up because. You know, Prager, you went and sued YouTube, and they went back and forth, and they took a lot of their videos down. I am surprised that video has been left. Well, Here's out.
1: another thing: as as you're talking, these thoughts are occurring to me. We sue people, and we win. And to a certain degree, I can. I think it's a fair statement to say that they fear us more than we fear them. What does that mean? I sued the New York Times for defamation. I got past motion to dismiss. No, Can you name anybody else that's, I mean, Sarah Palin did, but that was in an opinion section. I did it with the news section. So there are very few human beings that are able to accomplish that. It's like sort of being in the boss phase of the video game, you know, like when you play Nintendo. Like we've gotten to the boss level. And I think that there's to a certain degree, it, it, there's an incentive for them not to do this sort of thing where they ban me for some some bullshit reason. Because I'm the sort of man that will sue them and win. Now, you might say, well, there's no legal theory to do that with YouTube, but, but they don't know that. And frankly, maybe there is a legal theory under Section 230 or uh, a defamation law. So what I mean to say is I actually believe that these companies might be afraid to ban me because if they were to do that, they would have to create some pretext, some, some erroneous th- rule that applies to me, but doesn't apply to the other guy who breaks the rules all the time. I don't. And they're actually afraid of being exposed for violating their own rule. This is an interesting psychological thing. And, and and that's probably the reason why they haven't taken that down because of course our journalism is correct and, and those things actually occurred. And if the third video there, Pfizer whistleblower leaks exact emails, that was a Pfizer whistleblower who released emails of the director, of the, one of the senior executives at Pfizer Pharmaceutical saying in an email, these are her words, not mine. And she's saying, we don't want our customers to know that we use fetal cells in the development of the vaccine, and and that's what that video was. Three point five million views, an actual email, is real evidence. They haven't banned it. So why were you taken off Twitter then? Great question. Um, uh, they said that, I, that Twitter's excuse was I was quote creating fake accounts. Now I've never created a fake account, so I sued them for defamation, and that that matter is ongoing. They just seemingly made made up an excuse it wasn't because my reporting was false no it's because i quote made fake twitter accounts Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what they mean by
2: that. <laughs> who came up with the word provocateur? Was that something oh, that I they used to describe you? I, I, don't, I, I suppose people. But well, you, know you know, when you go on Wikipedia, like oh, you Wikipedia. have a reputation.
1: Oh, Wikipedia, it, it, it'll evoke audible gasps from people who read it. They, you think I'm a monster reading the Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. And it's all, just, it's all just circularly sourced nonsense. And What's like, your long-term aspirations? What's long-term? I think the ultimate vision, the vision of Veritas has now evolved into effectively being the answer to the question, what can I do? So we we are a catalyst for citizen empowerment. So we have, a, as I sit here on my iPad right now in front of you, we we have a team of people that get tips from uh, DMs from people, Instagram DMs, and, and people call our hotline. Hundreds of people a day message us and, and people from all society, you know, military people, school nurses, cops, honest firefighters, uh, everyone And it's effectively creating a mass movement of these people on the inside of these institutions to, to, to blow the whistle. I would, I would love to get more federal government people to do that. Um, the, the challenge we're going to have with people inside the federal government, like Ed Snowden and uh, Julian Assange have shown us that I think people are going to be persecuted. And, and I think that people are going to have to deal with that persecution and, and prosecution and, um, Uh, So long-term, the answer to your question is we want to create a mass
0: movement of whistleblowers. Mass movement of whistleblowers long-term. Mass movement of these whistleblowers, yes. Uh, You and uh, Snowden, have you guys ever done anything together or no? Well, funny enough, I was walking into your studio, literally through that
1: massive bank, heavy-ass door... <laughs> it's kind of Heavy creepy. When you open of, it, you can't. You can't. It's can kind move. of creepy. My, oh, oh, my security detail ah, was like, ah, I can't yeah. move the door. Oh, okay, if like,
2: you think you're leaving today, I buddy? feel like I feel. We more, got you
1: now. I feel more unsafe oh, in this room. God. Okay, all right. We don't want to see okay, that. Okay, right, okay, this guy, Alan. <laughs> Whoa, Alan's been half asleep the whole time. Now he's busting out
0: of. A... All right. So, uh, what <laughs> were, <where> were you <laughs> asking? You were talking about when you were walking in. When I was walking through this
1: incredible entrance to your studio here with the bank door, Snowden tweeted. Ed Snowden tweeted a video mm-hmm. of, of our performance in Miami the other night. Uh, Ed Snowden was tweeting about the performance. And, and, I, and I have to say about Ed Snowden, I, I, this is an example of this both sides issue is that is he a hero? Is he a villain? And I said when this happened eight years ago, I thought about this because I, don't, I, I think he defies characterization you know he defies characterization he he what he exposed was true james clapper lied under oath the nsa director said we do not wittingly you know spy on people it was the worst liar ever for a spook he was giving away all the <laughs> the, the, the gestures he was rubbing his brow <laughs> you're not supposed to do that bad spy but uh, he defies characterization but the amount of pain you know and persecution he's had to deal with he's in russia he's, he's a— he's um can't live in the United States, otherwise he's going to be in you know solitary confinement somewhere. It's going to require that level of sacrifice and service. And you might say, well, who will ever do that? Well, our, our service members go overseas and die for their country. They do that. Is there someone in Washington, D.C. willing to make, willing to live in solitary confinement for the rest of their life? For bringing disclosures to the public? showing what's actually happening inside of an organization like the Department of Justice? Is that someone, is there a human being willing to do that? Because I can show you I, history is replete with millions of people who, who get killed for this country. So I, I have a dream where there are people that come out and hopefully they are not prosecuted. Hopefully the disclosures are to such a degree that that the people of this country say, you know what? We're going to have their back no matter what. And we're going to elect you out of office if you go after those people. that that's, that's my vision for the future of this organization. And you know what? Sitting here right now today,
0: I think it's going to happen. Good. You seem determined to do it. Folks, if you enjoyed today's podcast with James O'Keefe from Project Veritas, hit the subscribe button if you're here for the first time. And secondly, we're going to put the link below to his book. I read this. I listened to it. Highly recommend you go do the same as well. Uh, we're going to put the link to Amazon. Is that the main link you want us to drive it to? Yeah, it was number four on Amazon. I and saw that. And
1: if you want to go Barnes & Noble or wherever you want to buy it, please, thank you.
0: Yeah, highly recommend. And so all
1: proceeds from this book go to our nonprofit organization. This, this book has sold a lot of copies. It'll probably generate a few hundred thousand dollars of revenue for us. So we appreciate it. it. goes to pay our reporters'
0: salaries. Tyler, can you do me a favor and put that in the chat box as well as in the comments section uh, on the bottom, so people can find the book. Having said that, James, appreciate you for coming on, man, this was a blast. Thank you. Having said that, folks, this week, I think we're doing a podcast four times, right? Tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow's podcast is with who? Tomorrow's Johan uh, Hari. Johan Hari, which we're gonna talk about mental uh, 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 anxiety, Uh, mental issues, you know, people are going through depression. We'll talk about that tomorrow. I think we got Jordan Peterson on Friday or Saturday. Stay tuned. Mm -hmm. And I think Thursday, who do we have on Thursday? Mr. Mike Ritland. Mike Mike Ritland's going to be here. Mike Ritland, the man's going to be here as well. So having said that, stay tuned, folks. We're going to do, this is going to be the first week we're doing a podcast four times. Having said that, have a great day, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye.